available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. I think we're going to have a little more energy for you this week than whatever we did last week. Apologize about that. But we got a big week three to recap. Some huge wins, some crazy stuff in the Pac-12, as always. We got... Week four to preview, which we get into more of the meat of the conference schedule. We got a bunch of your questions, even some questions that were resent in after we didn't go through all of them last week because of our aforementioned low energy levels. But if you have any questions for us, send them in, pac12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to call or text us, you can do that too, 424-532-0678. If you want to tweet at us, which basically tweet at me, it's at pac12podcast. <laughs> And then the website is uh, pac12podcast.com. There's lots of links there, contact information. And, of course, we have our uh, suicide pool. So people are asking about that. You can go in and check what you picked, and you want to make sure you don't repick. Uh, Matthew, uh, who's been doing a great job of keeping track for us, uh, he wants to make sure everyone does the right thing. So go in there, put your real name, the same name you've been using, your email address. Please use the same one. And then don't pick the same team more than once. And don't forget to pick because if you don't pick then you're out i think that's all very good notes um of course obviously if you tweet at pac 12 podcast you will get a response from ryan however you should follow <laughs> me on twitter at yes. david david woods because you can watch in real time somebody have an existential crisis about a football team it's and i recommend it it's pretty funny um it there's some language that's not suitable for work uh, all the it's time. gotten it's gotten a little bit more vulgar of late. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, and there's there's a great t- like if you want to do you'll get old takes exposed on you know speed dial on your Twitter because you know Dave will say something crazy and then five minutes later it's proven wrong. So it's it's pretty good. I, I have a gift, and <laughs> what, the thing is, I'm not I'm not um, precious about my takes. I can't be. So I'll often bring up those things from the past if they weren't proven immediately wrong. But if they were proven wrong, you know, many years hence, I'll go back and retweet myself because I think that's important for accountability. You do do that. You do a great job of that. I think your one this weekend was about Keaton Slovis being the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was beautiful because it was literally <laughs> like within three minutes he threw a very bad interception. Yeah. So, but they're great. They're great tweets. Make sure you check it out at David David Woods if you want to follow me. At Inside Troy, and of course at Pac-12 Podcast, um, we did. We got a request, Dave. Before we go into the, uh, I'll do the suicide pool stuff. We got Pac-12's players of the week. We got a bunch of stuff to get to. Um, John Wilner had a request. He wanted to get in. He didn't. I guess he didn't get in early. He wanted to get in late. And I think the caveat was he would have to pick UCLA heading into the Oklahoma game. So, well, John's out. <laughs> But we, we need something to get him. I, I think, like, 
It, yeah, there's some like we 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 need some kind of way to get people in, uh, but you have to have to do something crazy, like some huge upset would have to happen or something like that. I don't know. We need something, but Will Willard's a guy we would want in there. I don't know why he didn't jump in early. He's always he's always over everything we do, so I'm not sure what happened there. I know. Um, I do want to bring up that we did get uh, since I made my impassioned plea last week. We did get six new iTunes reviews. Oh wow. Um, well, do you want to do those first, and then we'll go over the pool re- the results, or what would you like? Uh, let me let me. I'll drop the reviews right now. Okay. Uh, we got one from Ute Fan Justin eighty nine. Best in the biz. Favorite Pac twelve podcast out there. Everything is done really well, and they spend a fair amount of time on every team. I trust their knowledge on Pac twelve football, and have made good money off their suggestions for the spread. Keep up the great work. Nice. I figure that must be trolling us. It's way too sincere. No, that's. Right? I think it's really nice. It's genuine. Wow. Well, clearly he hasn't been listening very long. <laughs> Uh, I don't have the name on this one. It's just the call dot, 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 dot. Uh, it's fine. It's basically, oh, I think I've already read this one. It's basically a niche podcast of smart-ass intellectuals overanalyzing something as wonderfully entertaining yet highly irrelevant as Pac-12 football. I yeah. think I've done that one before. Maybe. I, I can't believe I was called an intellectual. That's great. Well, then I'll keep reading. I find myself turning it on when my two-year-old refuses to go to sleep, and he's hucking an empty milk bottle at my head with laughter and defiance. I then pretend I'm Antonio Mafia and tackle him, explaining that it's more about scheme and technique than five-star power. We're not keeping score, but I'm probably losing. Yeah, it's a good podcast. Would be better if the conference felt relevant. Keep it up, gents. Yeah. Uh, This is Austin A89. Finally, something the Pac-12 beats the... Trails off right there. Uh, Ryan and Dave are like Archie and Edith Bunker. They argue. They make bad jokes. They aren't too sure what they're doing, but they have fun with it anyway. In all seriousness, these guys are great. They bring those nerdy stats and knowledge of Pac-12 football that you want in a podcast. Great reviews and recaps of the weekly lineups, and the banter will make you want to stick around for more. Subscribe to the Podcast of Champions, and you'll feel like you're all in the family, too. Wow. Uh, Timely television reference. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Love these contemporary references. (laughs) Uh, C. Falks 3. This is a podcast. I like football. I especially like Pac-12 football. This podcast talks about Pac-12 football. Sometimes. Like it. Uh, E underscore Rod California. Love the picks of the week. Keep it up. Okay. Retired insurance man, five stars. I've been listening to the podcast of champions religiously for two years. It's great. The two hosts are obviously homers for their LA schools, but they weave in enough sarcasm and snark to keep things funny and fun. Keep up the great work. Two thumbs up. Frank in Sacramento. So he's never listened cool stuff, if he guys. thinks we're homers. So that's, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm approaching anti-homers. <laughs> like I've gone, I've gone so far now that it's like I, I could never turn back. Well, I mean, it's like yes, we know the most about the teams that we cover, but it's not like like I, I don't know what the word is for somebody who's gotten so negative about the team that ostensibly, you know, I mean, let's be honest, the the team I ostensibly root for. Like, what is the word if you get that negative about that team? I don't know. That's it's like an anti fan. Yeah. I'm an anti-fan of UCLA football. <laughs> uh, we got a lot of UCLA questions today, too, so we're going to be talking a lot. Of I'm room. just uh, great. You know, that's great. <laughs> I think that's important. We should talk all things UCLA football. It really does a lot for my psyche. Nice. Uh, is that the last review? Yeah, it is. That's it. Awesome. Hey, thanks for the reviews. Uh, well, let me do – well, let's, you know, since our picks were doing a little bit better, at least, at least mine were, I want to tell everyone – Oh, uh, come on. You were one game over me. Yeah. 
It should have been three, but that's What's fine. the overall? What's the overall, buddy? I'll, I'll How get about to that, that in a second, but we got to talk about my bookie because at the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and you want to watch football. That's what we all do. We love listening to this podcast and then watching football, game-winning touchdowns, two-minute drives, running backs, racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing like NCAA football, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than, you know, put a little money on it if you want to bet on them. So you do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines uh, than anyone, any other sports book. Don't forget where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play and where you should too. So, you know, like I said, I beat David's picks this week, just crushed them. Seven and five had a winning record. Uh, there were some weird, some weird games and stuff this week, but follow, I'm back. Like, I, there, yeah, I troughed a little bit. There was a little bit of a dip. Now I'm going forward. So make sure you check out uh, mybookie.ag. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, you want to bet with mybookie. And if you join now, mybookie will double your first deposit if you use promo code PAC12 to activate the offer. That's promo code PAC12, and they will double. Your first deposit. Visit mybookie.ag today. You pay, you play, you win, and you get paid. So how much would people, for example, be getting paid relative to your picks if they used my picks? Say over the course of the entire season. Oh, just this past week, they would be doing much better, yes. Um, (laughs) Over the course of the season, Mr. Abraham, I would say... It would be something on the order of my record being, I don't know, ballparking at 18 and 11, whereas yours is um, 13 and 16. Yes. Right. This happened last year, too, uh, where I start off in a little bit of a hole, and then by the end... I'm not here to talk about the past. (laughs) I'm here to talk about what's happening right now in the present. So you're saying for after me beating you for three years in a row, you're going to win this year. I, again, I'm not here to offer context about the past. Look, me and Chip Kelly, we're not here to talk about things that happened one, two, th- seven years ago. That's we're here to talk history. about the future. We are a micro operation focused on just having a good Monday here. And frankly, I'm having a better few weeks than you. Let's nice. just say it. You Let's definitely call it are. What it is. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to get to it. We'll talk about who won which picks and stuff. Uh, but it was, you know. Overall, it was kind of a crazy week with 12 games. You're picking 12 games with some huge spreads. So there was a lot of weird stuff uh, that happened. We'll get into all that. As far as the suicide poll goes, thanks again to Matthew for compiling everything. So we had 206 winners from week two that were eligible to play week three. And now we're down to 160. So 145 of you picked Oregon State. Most of us did. So all you guys win. Uh, Eight people picked Cal. Four took Washington. And three took Utah. Uh, the losers, the majority, we keep having the majority of the losers, just people that forget to pick again. So 44 of the 46 losers didn't pick one person had a duplicate pick. Like we said, don't do that. And then one poor person picked Colorado. So that was the only like actual pick, uh, that lost this week. Cause like you said, the majority of people took, uh, Oregon state. So, um, put your picks in for week four. Uh, you can go to packedwellpodcast.com and all the information is there. We have a Google Doc that'll show you what the picks are. All the green ones are people that that won. So just if you're still alive, just use the same name, same email, and go forward with that. All right. Very cool. Yeah. We have uh real quick Pac 12 players of the week. 
Uh, Anthony Gordon, uh, the quarterback from Washington State, pretty much just fill in the blights like Mad Libs with them and quarterbacks. Uh, Miles Brandt, the defensive back from Washington, he had a couple picks. Uh, Anthony Gordon threw for 7,000 yards. No, he's like 440 yards or something. And then uh, minuscule amount. Yeah, minuscule amount. Then uh, Greg Thomas uh, for Cal had 53 field goals uh, in the win over North Texas. So <laughs> congrats to, the, to all three of the Pac-12 uh, players of the week. Tremendous work, everyone. We appreciate <laughs> your, uh, your service. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, I guess we got to start. I mean, this is going to be our biggest roundup, probably the biggest roundup ever. Have we ever had 12 games in one week? Like, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I think Pac-12 teams has consistently played like that early week, like negative zero week. So usually that team's off the next week. And then... Typically, there's at least one or two conference games leaving things up in the week two and week three slate. So I think this might be the first time. Yeah, so this is a big one. This is our, our biggest ever. Pac-12 Roundup. Yeah. And we have. Yeah, baby. Yeah, we got good stuff. We have, um, uh, let's see, a new, we don't have a new number one. We don't have a new number 12, but there's some moving around in the middle. And like, yeah. like we would like to do, we're going to start at number 12 and, uh. They're, I mean, they got a pretty solid lock on this position, I would say, right now, Dave. We have number 12. UCLA. Oops. Ruins. It's like, it's... No, that was fine. Let it cut out. <laughs> Seriously. It doesn't. Like, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma beat up on their FCS opponent in week three. No big deal. Uh, 48-14. I thought they were actually a little ho-hum about it. Um, they could have really, really smashed up. Oh, oh, right. They were playing UCLA. Uh, but they still could have hung 70 on them if they'd actually been sharp. I didn't think Oklahoma was even that sharp. Um, UCLA, um, horrible defensively, horrible offensively. Um, both areas. Uh, honestly, this might have been, in total, considering the defense they were up against, this might have been the worst offensive performance of the year. Um, despite, I thought Dorian Thompson Robson played a slightly better game. Um, but just this, I mean, this scheme is trash. Um, and they're trying to do just, it's so bizarre. They're like in this game in particular, they were even trying to do some blur concepts, but that misses the entire point of what the blur was, which is look, you run any of those plays at super slow tempo. They're not going to look anything like what they looked at Oregon. The, the thing that made Oregon so, so organy was that they ran those things and then they ran them at super high tempo and with a very run heavy offense. So that when the time comes to spot the ball, the ball is already there. It's not an incomplete pass. It's a, you know, it's right there. Um, so watching them do that at glacial slow tempo was almost like a cruel joke. Um, so that was fun. Uh, enjoyed that part of the game. Um, Jalen Hurts ran for nine, 99 yards on four plays on the opening drive. That was, uh, he was, able that to was get, a thing. <laughs> yeah, he was able to get 99 yards because they actually got a holding penalty called on them. Otherwise, it would have just only been 89 um, so, you know, there's that too. Uh, UCLA looked like they weren't prepared for a running quarterback somehow. Um, when he leads Oklahoma in rushing attempts, um, as well as rushing yardage so far this year. So that was also, um, interesting. Uh, it's a horrible defensive staff. Um, they're very bad at their jobs. Um, UCLA's secondary is just consistently backpedaling at the, at the snap basically every time they're out there. Um, the defensive line is okay, um, oh. and uh, that's a thing. 
Um, but that just accentuates how bad everything else is. The linebacker play was horrible. They just looked really awfully coached uh, just across the board. Um, and then offensively, they couldn't do anything against a defense that was actively bad last year and is probably mediocre this year. So UCLA is horrible. They lost 48-14. Should have been a lot worse. Um, and we will see where they go from here. Chip Kelly, now 0-6 in non-conference play at UCLA, 3-12 and overall. Wow. Um, it was uh, 34-7 at half, and Hertz had 20, I mean 20, 200 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. So that they was, had almost 450 yards total at halftime. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing. You know, we both picked uh, Oklahoma to cover the 23 and a half, and uh, this was the, the easiest pick of the week. Um, Devin Asiasi, three catches for 71 yards. That's a nice thing. He looked uh, good. He looked good. Troy Aikman was there. That's a nice thing. We like Troy Aikman. He's a nice guy. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure what was good. It was like, it just Nothing. felt like they could name the score kind of thing. Yeah, and it's just it's it's really bizarre watching UCLA under Chip Kelly because it's like I tweeted this out, but I'm going to share it with all of you now too. Uh, it's like he's trying to do the exact opposite of everything he did at Oregon, like in a micro sense, like they're like to prove a point or something. Yeah, like, they're. I'm going to do it a super, different way or something. Yeah. Exactly, like a glacially slow offense that can only be described as traditional or pro style, um, surrendering on third and long. Um, surrendering before the half, kicking field goals down 27 points in the fourth quarter. And, you know, he's doing, in the macro sense, something he didn't do a lot of at Oregon, which is losing a lot, constantly. Yeah. Um, well, we have a lot of uh, UCLA questions, so we'll probably just stop and then move on to our next team because we're going to be talking more UCLA later because you have a lot of people that were interested in that. And I know you have some really hot takes, so... They're, they're steaming. Nice. All right, let's move on to our number 11 team. Oregon State Beavers. Another game that went kind of to expectation. We don't need to talk about it too much, but Oregon State pounded Cal Poly 45-7. And the shocking thing is they did it without Jamar Jefferson, who limped off the field in the previous game. Uh, seemingly has a leg injury. I didn't read any clarification about it. But even without him... Jake Luton was super sharp. Artavis Pierce, you know, I mean, he was once the starter, and, you know, he looks fully capable of, of shouldering the load now as well, 12 carries for 90 yards. Um, and they completely, you know, handled Cal Poly. They did allow way too much on the ground, probably, but it's a ground-heavy offense for Cal Poly, so no big deal. Um, no, it was a, good, a nice win. What you're supposed to do against an FCS opponent at home. Oregon State wins! Uh, they did give up. An opening touchdown, so the you don't want to be down seven nothing to Cal Poly, but uh, I think it was thirty eight unanswered points. Um, Isaiah Hodgins was had seven catches, eighty one yards, couple of touchdowns. He's had a touchdown in every game, so the last guy to do that for Oregon State was Brandon Cooks, and he won the Blitnikoff. So, not saying that's going to happen, but just saying they're just watch him. He's one of the best wide receivers in. The conference, uh, a lot of injuries. You mentioned Jamar Jefferson. It's there's uh, Injuries are starting to pile up uh, with this team. I think Cal's another one, too. But just something to watch because there's a, there's a big battle coming up in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so it's reminiscent of the, the Colorado-Oregon State battles that we've had in the past. Like, this could be a big one. So hopefully they can get healthy uh, before that happens. But, yeah. I'm stupidly excited for that game. <laughs> like, so excited. <laughs> Nice. Um, 
And I mean, the way this team has looked, like you could make arguments that they're not in the right spot, but the number 10 team is Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, in my picks, I, I toyed with making them number 11 um, because I test wise, I don't know if they've looked any better than Oregon State. Um, all right, so Stanford, um, they played UCF. So the, the thing with Stanford and the reason I kept them at 10 is that they've actually played like two decent enough opponents. They've gotten blown out in both of those games, but they've played them. So it's hard to gauge it relative to Oregon State. Yeah. And they beat, um, they beat like a significant team. Right, but they also, but but Oregon State played Oklahoma State closer than Stanford has played either of UCF or USC. True, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I I really toyed with this one. Uh, Stanford looked horrible against UCF. Uh, It was forty-five twenty-seven at the end. That really doesn't tell the story. That was fully junk time nonsense. Uh, Stanford couldn't do anything for the longest stretches of this game. It was thirty-eight ten after three quarters, and then it was the game was over, and they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, they were awful. Um, they looked so much slower than UCF out there. Um, like, their defenders just could not handle this UCF offense whatsoever. Um, and then offensively, their scheme just looks so antiquated suddenly. Um, like, so much work to get a three-yard gain in the receiving game. It's It's uncanny how bad they look. Uh, Cameron Scarlett looked more like the guy I was expecting coming into the year where he just kind of kind of struggles to make guys miss, kind of struggles to do much beyond what's exactly there. Uh, he doesn't break big runs typically. Um, I thought Austin Jones gave him a little bit more, but again, that was mostly late. Um, KJ Costello was not sharp in his first game back. No. Um, maybe some of it was him dumping – Maybe some of that dumping the ball for short gains where it just looked like it took a lot of work to get nothing was just him not seeing the field well on his first game back. Hard to say. Uh, but this was a categoric beatdown. I mean, it was uh, – Stanford had, what, 350 yards total, and UCF had something like 550. Um, it was just – I mean, it was – and it was from basically the jump. It was 28-7 after the first quarter. Uh, this one was over. Um, and, uh, yeah, Stanford – I think they're in full rebuilding mode, um, and I think they need to have some kind of gut check, soul-searching on what do they need to do to modernize what they're trying to do? Do they need to do anything? Are there true reinforcements coming up through the pipeline right now that they can point to and say, hey, we can continue to do this because X, Y, and Z are coming through? Or do they really need to reevaluate their position and, and who they want to be going forward? But right now, it is very bad. Yeah, I never wanted to predict. Like every time you try to predict Stanford's demise, it seems to, you know, it just bounce, you know, slaps you back in the face. But now it seems like, ooh, I think it's here. I think we've seen it. Uh, this could be this could be it for Stanford for right now. And there's a lot of other teams like, you know, teams that haven't beat Stanford for a while, like a, say a California or a UCLA that are like. Licking their chops like, hey, this might be our year. Now, maybe not UCLA. Um, I'd like to clarify something. Uh, UCLA is not licking its chops about playing anybody. Right okay. Now. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned it was 28-7 after the first quarter. The opening drive, uh, Stanford gave up a touchdown, and then they threw a pick six. Or it was almost a pick six, and they, they punched it in. So it was like 14 nothing before you sat down with your popcorn. Um, I think I watched the first half of this and then uh, turned it off. Stanford's now given up 40-plus points in back-to-back games. They haven't done that for a couple of years, but they've – uh, 14 of the last 16 games, they haven't run for 150 yards. Like that's not very, well, that's kind of Stanford now, but that's not Stanford 
of old. They are banged up. Um, I mean, the defense was banged up. They had a lot of room for it. UCF could run pretty much all over the place. There was a lot of holes, uh, just a lot of space for them to kind of execute what they wanted to do in the offense. Uh, it just didn't look like they should have been on the same field. A couple more offensive linemen got hurt. I think a couple linebackers temporarily, uh, to Hill and, uh, and Beecher. I think they came back. But I think they've lost five linebackers so far this year. Uh, they've given up 90 points and over 1,000 yards in the last two games. Like, this is a team that's just reeling right now. And I'm not sure what's going to, you know, you got Oregon coming up. That's probably not going to be very pretty. Uh, but and, and you go to Corvallis, like, hmm, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting one, too. I mean, Oregon State could make out a little run here. They got They got a UCLA game. They got a Stanford game. But there's... They play Washington after that and then a bye. Like Stanford just, I mean, I don't know. They're going to be limping by the time the middle of the season comes around if they're not already. Yeah, this is, um, uh, yeah, they're they're in real trouble. Um, it, it's not the year with this non-conference slate to be bad. Um, because, so, I mean, Northwestern to open the season. Northwestern might be really bad this year. They played UNLV shockingly close um, at home last week, and that game should have been 10-7 not 17-7. Um, and then they lose two straight, getting blown out. Oregon, I think, is going to – I mean, we'll talk about that in a second, but I think they're going to go ham on them. And then I, I would pick them to lose right now to add Oregon State. Um, just playing in Corvallis, they should have lost last year to Oregon State. Yeah, that one's that one's it. And then Washington at home. I mean, there is there is a fully, fully possible chance that they're going into the UCLA game. UCLA will have back-to-back games against Oregon State and Stanford <laughs> – uh, but they go into that UCLA game one and six or one and five. Yeah, that's wow. stunning, and <sighs> uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough fall. And they're not really going to have a chance to close the year strong. I mean, even if they go three and zero over UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado, which is possible, they then have at Washington State, Cal, and Notre Dame to end the year. I mean, if you're looking, if I'm looking at this just with rational eyes, not taking in any baggage from the preseason, I think three and nine, four and eight. Yeah. Something like that. Really? I mean, that's, and that could be, that could be optimistic. It could be. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a real scenario where, you know, maybe they beat, maybe they beat Oregon State. Maybe they beat, I mean, what is it? It's maybe they beat Oregon State. Maybe they beat UCLA. Maybe they beat Arizona. And maybe they beat Colorado. But all of those are probably 50 50 toss ups at best. Yeah. I think KJ Costello is going to have to p- come back and look really good and kind of carry the team. Uh, he just doesn't have the same kind of weapons that he did last year. But I think that's the best chance uh, at this point because it doesn't look like the run game is going to do it. it. Doesn't look like the offensive line is going to be, you know, some world beater. It's going to be like Costello in his arm making plays, and if they, he can do that, you know, maybe you know him and Parkinson just kind of take him down the field a lot. But I, I don't know, Dave. It just doesn't look good right now. Yep. All right. Uh, the number eight team we have Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> All right, this was the nightcap, or one of two nightcaps um, on Saturday night. Um, so many of you may not have stayed up to watch it, but I did. Uh, Arizona, this was a game we picked differently. This was Ryan. one, yeah. And actually, so it's funny, the bottom of the, the the power rankings, we've got all the games right so far. So the, the teams that are terrible, we did better at picking than the good teams. Uh, well, and that makes sense because I think we nailed like those ones. You we, know, like Those were nailed. Like the first three yeah. we knew, yeah. Yeah, because we, I think we're still ahead of Vegas on Stanford and UCLA right now. Yeah, um, like we both like we're locking up UCF over Stanford. We were both locking up Oklahoma over UCLA by like 
two more touchdowns than what they were saying. Yeah. And this week will be another one, too, I think, with that Oregon line. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. But Arizona pulling off a big win over Texas Tech. Um, The story for me from this game was basically twofold. First, Arizona's defense. Is it an actual real going concern? Where where did they come from? Like, they were awful. Maybe? They were uh, awful in the first two games. And then they, they held this Alan Bowman character to 5.6 yards per attempt. That's really good. They were like um, flying all over the field. Like, I don't know. And Texas Tech wasn't throwing it down. I think we got a question about this too, but Hawaii was just going over the top and, and just beating the, the, the crap out of this defense. And Texas Tech was like, I'm going to keep everything near the line of scrimmage where all the Arizona defenders are. It was bizarre. Like, this looked like a completely different defense. Yeah, it was really stunning, and I, I don't know if exactly if Texas Tech had done a whole lot of homework on Arizona, but whatever they did, it played into Arizona's strengths yeah. for sure. Hundred percent. So that was that was one end of it. The other end was Khalil Tate had a had a real Khalil Tate run in this game. Oh yeah, that that eighty four yard touchdown was sick to watch, um, and I'm hoping we see more of that going forward. But this was a throwback Rich Rod esque rushing game for Arizona, over three hundred yards rushing. Uh, 5.1 yards per carry. So they did that 300 yards on 61 carries. They completely just handled this game. And it was really telling in the closing moments. I mean, they had a, I think it was like a seven and a half minute drive, essentially, to close the game, um, where it was like 13 plays, 99 yards for a touchdown. That was impressive as hell to watch. Um, Arizona looks... I was saying this after the Hawaii game. There were signs in that game of like some good things. The the you know Tate looking a little bit better. Um, Hawaii's kind of a weird, tough matchup. Their season isn't over. Um, Arizona, they're they're clearly not the worst team in the Pac-12, and this is a nice win. I mean, Texas Tech was looking good-ish heading into this game. It's hard to tell, take too much from whatever it was, Montana State and UTEP. But they crushed those teams. Yeah. Um, so to get a 28-14 win over a Power 5 opponent, you'll take that any day. Yeah. You know, if you follow Jason Shear, I mean, he was talking about this might be the worst defense he's ever seen at Arizona before. And now he said that they, uh, I mean, they showed different alignments. They hadn't played all season. I mean, they looked, it looked like a different group. And, I, you know, some of that, could it be that Marcel Yates, the defensive coordinator, was like talked about they should fire him at this point. Um, maybe that lit a fire under him, but this was a different looking team uh, than what we had seen. And Texas, and you know, the reason I picked Texas Tech is I just thought that they would be able to score more on this Arizona squad, and they they didn't. And we got to see, like you said, the the Khalil Tate of old. Uh, it was third and seven, and uh, Arizona's on their own sixteen yard line, and you're like, yeah, what are they going to do? And that's when Tate breaks out that eighty four yard run. That was absolutely magical. And that, I mean, that's just a, you got them backed up and, you know, third and long and you get a touchdown on it. It's kind of a demoralizing uh, play for the defense. And Texas Tech just looked like they're out of sorts. They tried a fake field goal at one point where they didn't need to and it failed miserably. It was just blown up. It didn't, it just looked like, like they were trying to play UTEP again. Like they, they're like, ah, Arizona's not that good. And, you know, they, Arizona still has athletes. You know, Arizona still, they were, it was at home. Uh, and it just looked like Texas Tech wasn't kind of ready for that. And then they had a 99-yard t- touchdown drive, all runs in the fourth quarter that sealed it. At that point, I mean, it was kind of going back and forth a little bit, but then Arizona was just kind of inflicting uh, their will. And if you got you got to see Armand shine, 
former Utah running back. He had transferred to Texas Tech, so he ran well, and then they took him out for some reason. I'm not sure what was going on there, but there was a couple first-quarter interceptions for Arizona. They have eight interceptions so far in the season. So they were giving up a lot of plays, but they got some turnovers uh, early. Tate had a couple turnovers early, too. He threw a pick, and he fumbled. I think there was, there was lots of punts and turnovers in the beginning part of this game, and then it got good. Uh, later on. And Tech hadn't forced any turnovers either this season. So it was a really weird, kind of bizarre game. But once it settled in, Arizona was just in control. So, And uh, Tate now has 5,000 passing yards, 2,000 rushing in his career. So I think Marcus Mariota is the only other Pac-12 player to do that. So good on Arizona. I, I got this one wrong. But yeah, this looked like, this made me open my eyes to Arizona because this looks definitely looks like a different team than what we'd seen. Yep. So, yeah, good. And so, by coming up for Arizona. They got the Bruins. Um, so, you know, maybe, you know, that that Hawaii loss sucks, but, and if you look back, you're like, man, if they hadn't lost to Hawaii, people would be talking about this team now. Um, but we'll see. All right, next up, uh, we have our number seven team. Colorado Buffalo. Yeah, and I should know, I had these two teams flipped. I had Arizona above Colorado. Oh, this is, I'm sorry, This Arizona's number nine, Colorado's number eight. Sorry. Yeah, so, we're, so I had these two flipped okay. from the uh, pack. So hopefully if I... Just letting, just letting everybody know. Um, all right, uh, so Colorado lost to Air Force in overtime. Um, there were a lot of rough things about this game. Um, number one, Air Force has a really funky scheme, so it can be tough to defend against it, but at no level did Colorado... Um, have success defending this scheme. They were getting gashed in the middle really, really easily. And then Air, Air Force, which isn't a throwing offense, was just killing them through the air too. Um, just at no level was this defense playing well. Um, and if Air Force was like a faster-paced team, it could have been a little bit worse. But they were, you know, content to score their 20 points in the first half or whatever. Um, but they uh, they really dominated this game on the ground. Uh, fifty two carries for almost three hundred yards. Um, you just you can't give that up to Air Force because they're just gonna limit possessions and and try to beat you that way. Um, and then I thought Stephen Montez wasn't sharp at all, um, missing a ton of throws throughout the game, um, just not looking good. And you're thinking, oh, it's the first half. He's gonna get it together in the second half and really start going. And it just never really got put together for him. Um, he was, you know, throwing the ball and just not looking quite right with where it was going, but also he just didn't seem to be making very quick decisions. And I don't know if it's learning the new scheme. That seemed to be the excuse they were making on the broadcast or just, you know, not necessarily just being all there or what. Um, Cause he's kind of had that to start the games the last couple of weeks too. So um, really not a good game for Colorado. Um, tough offense to deal with. I don't think it means the end of their season by any stretch of the imagination, um, but definitely not not great having to go against that weird Air Force option, um, and especially with your quarterback not having a great game. Yeah, and to be to clarify, I didn't realize this, but they, we have uh, the, the Pac-12 poll has Colorado and Arizona tied at eighth, so that's why. Um, so they're, they both have 95 points. It's just the order that they – Put him in. Uh, this was another one we got. I took uh, Air Force in this one because I did a little research, and they were supposed to be a better team this year, and they did look uh, they looked better. Uh, Colorado gave up almost 300 yards on the ground, but you know that's the weird thing is this is an Air Force team that threw 
We only saw him once because they played Colgate, and they threw one pass in that game. Uh, and their starting quarterback didn't throw that pass. And this this game, they were coming out throwing. They were throwing the ball quite a bit. Um, his, I think his uh, Donald Hammond's passer rating um, was like 300 or something at some point. He would actually had more yards than Steven Montez like at some point in the fourth quarter passing the ball, which is very strange. Uh, you don't normally see that. Uh, Colorado did go up 10-0 early, but then it was a 23-0 run for Air Force. And it really could have been worse. Like they had Arizona, Air Force had three touchdowns and three turnovers in their first six drives. So it was just every time they got stopped, they were pretty much stopping themselves. But they, I mean, they had two long touchdown passes. They were third down conversions that they were passing on. This is not what Air Force does. So very different, uh, kind of what they saw. And then it was it was like blowout territory. And then there were so many, I think this was the time when there was like six Pac-12 games on. So I switched to something else and somehow Colorado comes back and ties it and they go into overtime. I was going to be pissed if I didn't get this cover, Dave. Uh, but, Oh, you almost got such a bad beat. That would have like, been a horrible beat. You almost got such a bad beat. I was going to, I didn't want to jinx it though. So I didn't text you, <laughs> but I was like, Oh man, it's going to happen. And it would have been so unfair. Like, yeah. So incredibly unfair. But then of course, Air, uh, I think Colorado gave it up in one play. One play, Air Force score, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then each side actually had a block PAT too, so it was weird. Like it could have been, you know, it could have well, been. That's over. the thing is, Colorado could have won it. And ra- well, that was I was actually kind of excited about Colorado's blocked PAT or the missed PAT or whatever it was, um, because it left it then in the position where it could go to overtime. Right, exactly. I was going to be really angry if they won by one. Right, that would have been like perfect if they, you know, but no, I needed it to go to OT. Everything was playing out exactly as I needed it to. <laughs> you needed, uh, you, like you would have had it would have had to have been a block field goal, and then overtime where Colorado scores a touchdown. And well, and then when when Air Force um, won the or whatever when they had to go first in overtime, I'm like, crap! Now I needed to go to two OTs because there's no way Colorado's going to play for a touchdown if Arizona if uh, Air Force doesn't score here. So right. yeah. I was just like, okay, no, I need it. I needed to go to double OT so that. Colorado can go first and dictate. Yeah. Uh, but this back-to-back <laughs> overtime games for Colorado, uh, you know, really exciting win uh, against Nebraska. This one was a little more disappointing, but it was a nice comeback. But it just seemed like after that first, you know, flurry of 10 nothing, Air Force just was in control of this game. So we'll see. Um, Colorado's got Major a work back. in progress. It's a work in progress. Yeah. And I don't think you're judging. I think – walking out of non-conference play two and one, that's great. Yeah. We, that's, we both, that's totally fine. That's what we both felt was going to happen. Two and one, we just had, you know, two of those games reversed. But after the, the Nebraska win, it's like, oh, you know, that was, that was one that you could have. And they've looked so much more competitive than we were expecting. Yeah. I would say from an eye test perspective, I don't think Ryan's still thinking Colorado's winning two games. No, year. no. I think they're going to do better than that, but. Um, that was that was definitely a tough one. So we'll see. Uh, okay, next up, our number seven team, USC Trojans. Real fall from grace for USC. I still have them way up at like number four, which I don't know. That's probably irrational. Probably just confirmation <laughs> bias after the previous week. Um, yeah. So <laughs> USC lost in overtime to BYU. Um, Keaton Slovis. Um. I thought still on balance actually looked pretty good, but he did throw um, – he threw a couple of picks. Um, three picks, actually, at the end of the day. Three picks, One yeah. to close the game. Um, I, his other numbers were fine. It was just I, – I think 
there was some stuff going on with BYU's defensive looks where I don't think USC ever figured it out properly. Um, if you didn't watch the broadcast, but they kept talking about the box count, and BYU was consistently putting five in the box, which is basically a run indicator for USC. But what was happening was BYU's defensive line was just crushing USC's center, especially just off the snap over and over and over again. So with a box count of five, USC really didn't have an advantage whatsoever because BYU just kept getting into the backfield, getting into the backfield, but they just kept running directly into it Um, to the point where I was like texting Ryan. I'm like, why is Malapai even playing? I mean, dude is just like not able to break a tackle and they need to break tackles in this game because they're getting they're getting hit in the backfield. Yeah. Um, And it was just, you know, any kind of indecision in the running style. That's why Marquis step, I thought, looked so much better because he's just I'm getting downhill. I am going to run straight through that hole and I'm not going to dance at all. Um, And, he, you know, he brings a little bit more weight behind him, um, which is why I thought he looked more successful later in the game. Um, But. It was just, it seemed like something with the way that defensive line was playing that USC's offensive line, maybe just simply they're bigger and stronger. Um, it was screwing up the entire offense. Um, they couldn't get any of the run stuff going and they were dictated runs so often because of the box count. Um, and then uh, Slovis himself just wasn't quite as sharp and wasn't reading the coverages very well. But again, they were dropping six in coverage pretty much all the time, seven sometimes. So it was a little bit harder than usual. Um Zach Wilson, the guy is, whose name we can't remember, uh, really <laughs> closed the game strong. Um, he threw a ball to, I, I think this is Mitt Romney's nephew or some crap, it's, Gunner Romney. I, I I think you're right. I think there was some relation. When you've there. got when you've got a political scion <laughs> catching balls over your secondary, you've done something wrong, USC. You've done something wrong. Um, but that was like the closing drive for BYU. Um, to uh, to get this one. Was that to get it tied? No, USC's kicked a field goal to tie it. But yeah. They uh, went ahead on that one. They went ahead, yeah. Um, but yeah, this was uh, obviously a rough performance for USC. I thought, you know, given the talent differential, they should have done a much better job offensively. I think they didn't do a great job getting out of whatever their, like, base reads are off of a defense. I don't think they accounted for the fact that their offensive line was getting stoned so often. Um, and it led to this. I think this was, you know, BYU's offense is weird, and they've got a weird running around quarterback. You're going to give up some points, um, but the fact that the offense couldn't score more than 27, I think, is the real indictment here. I agree with you there. I mean, people, a lot of USC fans were tweeting me about how bad the defense was. It's like, well, USC went out and turned the ball over twice in, you know, in their own territory, gave up 10 points off those where it could have easily been 14. So, I mean, they're you start off kind of in a hole and then, so there were 17 points for the rest of the game that the defense gave up. I thought the defense played, didn't play great. There were some contain issues, um, but they, they played fine. They, they could have won the game with the defensive effort, but the offense, this is twice now, Dave, we've seen the offense, you know, it's supposed to be like, you just go, like you're supposed to be balls to the wall, just go. And they did that against Stanford. Um, but when they hit some adversity, like when, JT Daniels went down in the first game. It looked like a different offense. They ran the ball. It just didn't look like the air raid at all. And I, I don't remember seeing like Mike Leach teams like change the offense when something bad happens. You know, like you throw a pick or two, it's like boom, you you go back and throw it again. You know, if you throw a third pick, fine, you throw it again. 
And this in this game, that throws a couple picks when BYU was dropping guys back into coverage. And instead of changing like some of the reads or, or you know extending some of the routes so they're not everything's ganged up in the middle, they're trying to do all these intermediate routes, which I like, but that's what BYU was covering. They're dropping dudes back. You kind of got to go over the top or do something else. They went to like a completely non-air ready offense. They ran the ball 45 times, gaining like 171 yards. And you're talking about, you know, this is BYU squad that was giving up huge chunks of yardage to both Tennessee and Utah. And USC wasn't able to take advantage of that. So BYU could take away what USC wanted to do, force them to do something else. And that something else, USC didn't do that well. So it just looked like once they get punched in the mouth on offense, they didn't really have an answer. And I don't know if it's a Graham Harrell thing or a Clay Helton thing kind of getting involved in it, but it just did not look good. And so as high as USC people were after beating Stanford, you see how bad Stanford is. And you go on the road and lose to Utah. Uh, not a not a good thing. Michael Pittman had a great, crazy TD catch. There were some good plays in this one. But, you know, three turnovers at the end of the day to none for BYU. That's going to be that's going to be tough to overcome. And um, USC is not very good in overtime games. They're they're They've lost four or five since 2002. They don't get a lot of them, but when they do, they don't do well. They beat Texas a couple of years ago. That was it. So it was not a, not a strong effort. The, uh, the, the <laughs> this could be the, the final, that could be the nail in the coffin for Clay Helton, to be honest, because you could go and lose to Utah and like Washington or something, but you lose on the road to BYU that all those changes you made in the offseason are supposed to overcome that. And obviously they did not. Yeah. So uh, we'll see, but they got a, I mean, they got the good thing is they got a pretty easy stretch coming up because they play, you know, Utah, Washington and Notre Dame. So it should be, it should be no problem getting back on track uh, after this uh, little hiccup. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, probably not. Um, we yeah we both got this one wrong we both bought in I will I'm now I'm just back off like okay just my thing is don't well, pick USC to cover the spread I've been going against that it's been terrible just if I would just stick to my guns then I'd be two and one picking USC and I, I've I've gone against that so for the rest of the way I will not pick USC to cover spread <laughs> I guarantee you that so that just lock that pick in there for the rest of the way and I'll, I'll I'm gonna have a winning record picking that team I know that for sure um, let's see. Arizona State is up next. Why don't I play the sound instead of saying it? Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Number six what? in the poll. Number one in your hearts. So Arizona State, are they taking the Cal title of, hey, just don't try to offense too hard? I mean. <laughs> this was this was perfectly out of what my, what my ideal playbook for Cal is, which is just don't offense. Yeah. Do not do it under any circumstances, and you'll come out ahead. Um all right, so I'm really impressed with ASU this year, particularly for how they're scheming around a faulty offensive line. Uh, this game had one notable change that I want to bring everyone's attention to. I don't know if it was on the broadcast because I was listening to this one kind of on mute. Um, but they had Cole Cabral back at center, which I think really changed things for them. Obviously, it wasn't a huge offensive game, but it seemed like they just had a little bit more stability up front. Um, and I think that was a big factor. Um, so I want to note that. And then going into it, uh, Jaden Daniels, look, he's not blowing any way on the way with his stats right now, but dude looks poised as hell playing football. Um, numbers not going to blow you away. 26 attempts for 140 yards. So nothing, but at the end of this game, he was nails, um, scrambling for first downs, 
making everything happen with his legs, and then also throwing a beautiful ball to Brandon Ayuk for the 40-yarder down the sideline to set up ASU's touchdown, uh, but then converting a fourth and whatever for a, on a scramble. I think I it was fourth and 13. Yeah, and he ran for 16. Dude is – he is a player, and he's tons of fun to watch. Um, so that's all – you know, and uh, you can't even rave about the offense because they scored 10 points, but there's a lot to like there. Jaden Daniels, um, if they ever get their offensive line figured out – um, this team has some major upside this year. Uh, but then defensively, I mean, if we're talking about the upside for this team, they're looking pretty damn good defensively at this point. Um, I mean, if you're talking on the course of the year, I mean, look, points are points, but UCLA's only scored 14 points per game, literally exactly 14 points in each game. Arizona State's only allowed seven points exactly in each three of their three games. That's something. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you've kind of got something going on. And not to say any of those teams are offensive world beaters, but still, that's uh, that's good defensive play. So um, Michigan State, they look like such a Michigan State team. I mean, if you've ever watched Michigan State play football, they are so bad to watch. But ASU showed they can play that game and win um, in East Lansing. This was impressive as hell. It's, you know... A, really awful NFL score, but it was, I thought, a really impressive performance from ASU. They should be very happy with this, and to come out 3-0 and at a non-conference play with their offensive line issues, they 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 could make some noise in the conference this year. They crushed it. It was, uh, you know, biggest win for the, the conference. Um, we This is a game we crushed, too. The line was 14, and we're like, last year the score was 16-13. to 13. Like, Yeah, what? no, neither of these teams is going to score 14. <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, I don't know how we knew this, and they didn't. But, yeah, 10-7. Uh, they barely combined to score more than the spread. Um, so Arizona State's given up the fewest points per average outside of Wisconsin, who had two shutouts, I think, against Cupcakes. But um, big deal the way the defense is playing. And that was a, a huge drive late in the game. I mean, when this was 3 nothing, you're like, Yes, you could hang on and win three nothing. I think you know that was that was kind of that was a thing. And that w- that would have been so cool. Yeah, it was three nothing <laughs> at half. We're like, and you know, Michigan State got that. Uh, they so Michigan State missed a couple field goals. Um, you know, in this game, they missed one at the end. So you know, that seventy-five yard touchdown drive, like you talked about, was nice. The fourth and thirteen conversion, even like the you know Benjamin score was like barely like. He was extending from like the three yard line and somehow he got it in. Like it that was, always gives me it gives me such anxiety to watch that too. Like when a guy's just holding it in his hand yeah. for like some measure of time before it hits the gold line. I'm like, dude, no. I mean, you've got four plays. It was like four plays from the one, right? Because he just ran out at the one. Yeah, I think you so. You don't need to do that here. You don't need to do that here. Just get it in on the next one. Don't do this. Yeah, but it was like uh Michigan State had four hundred and four yards and Arizona State only had two hundred and sixteen. Um, but you know, Herm Edwards is really good at keeping things tight. I mean, you gave up 21 points total and we, you know, that he's five and one in games decided by three points or less in the last two seasons. Like that's, that's insane. Like what he's able to do, but we just know like that's his mentality is more NFL. It's not going to 14 point spreads and and the NFL never happened. Like you shouldn't ever have a 14 point spread with, with a a Herm Edwards team in college. Like just, no, it's not going to, it's going to be close. It's going to be ugly, and that's what they, they were able to uh, do. But the the final, there was only, I think, 50-something seconds left, and, and uh, Michigan State got the ball back. And they made, made a couple plays, and they got down there to kick a field goal. And it was good. Unfortunately, Michigan State had 12 men on the field, so they had to kick it again. 
And then, and this was a play that will, we, I think we had a question on this too. An Arizona state player leaped over the line and it wasn't called. The field goal was missed and Arizona state wins the game, but the PAC 12 refs have come back and they're actually, you know, this was the first time in the first three weeks they released a three minute video. They explained what was going on and why this was wrong. And it should have been a uh, penalty and a re-kick uh, untimed down for Michigan state. So um, this was the first time we've seen that, Hey, we screwed up, you know, clause in, in the uh, thing. So I don't know what you thought about that, Dave. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. They won. Um, but I think if they were going to talk about any um, of the things that they got wrong this weekend, the, a game we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, Washington State at Houston, really, really should take the cake. There should be a 45-minute explainer of every single call in that football nice. game. Nice. Um, yeah, there, there was a lot of bad calls in this game and, and other games, too. Um, so Arizona state fans were quick to point out like, what about this passive interference call? What about there was, there was a lot of weird, I mean, it's back 12, you know, there's going to be a lot of weird, um, stuff there, but there, that was the first one we got and they actually put a video out there. So they're trying to kind of educate the fans and everything of what's going on. So hopefully there's more of those. I'm sure there will be, uh, going forward, but big win, uh, for ASU, um, three and O got Colorado coming up. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Our number, uh, our number four team. Can you believe? Is this number four? Wait, no, number five. I'm sorry. I don't get the numbers all screwed up. This is our number five team right now. California Golden Bears. I have Cal all the way down at seven, which feels wrong, but what, what are you going to do? Um, did I even update these? Who knows? Three, um, three all right. and oh. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? My logic doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, all right, uh, Cal jumped out to a 20 nothing lead over North Texas, so that's good. That's positive. Uh, and then hung on <laughs> for a 23-17 win. Uh, you got this one right. I got this one wrong, unfortunately. Um, basically, they jumped out to that 20 nothing lead, and then the offensive line was looking super poo-poo throughout the game. Um, really, uh, Chase Garbers had to scramble like 18 times for 70 yards, but it wasn't like those were designed runs. He was just running away from pass rushers constantly and turning them into positive gains. Um, I thought he actually, his stat line doesn't look it. I thought he actually played pretty well given that he was not getting a clean pocket much at all. Um, Hey, he did complete nine passes. That's good, right? Uh, there were 22 (laughs) attempts, right? Um, but you know, I mean, it was like, it was pretty bad. I mean, he was getting no time to throw and then constantly having to move his feet. Yeah. So I think he, I think they forced him to run like 18 times, like literally, like he ran a lot. Yeah. And he didn't turn the ball over. So I thought it was, you know, if a Cal quarterback's not turning the ball over, that's a great game. Um, the defense I thought was fine. You know, it did pretty well. Um, 71 plays for North Texas and just uh, 329 yards. So that's, that's really good, um, you know, to be on the field for that many plays and still give up a, a very reasonable yardage total. Um, but Cal's offense just struggled, um, and <laughs> I, I think that's that's just kind of the, the story. The story <laughs> of Cal football the last couple of years, um, and we'll see if they can get it right a little bit. But that offensive line, they're another team that's dealing with a ton of injuries up there, so. Yeah, we'll see. I was a little shocked to see this twenty to nothing. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Cal offense twenty points. Like, what is going on here? But the, you know, North Texas got it back and they started moving the ball. Cal hadn't given up a passing touchdown for 
seven years, I think, or something like that. But they gave up a couple <laughs> in this one. Um, you know, Garber's like, you know, those nine completions, but they go for 199 yards. I mean, he was when he completed it, there were some some big numbers there. He, uh, he, he had a touchdown. Uh, Evan Weaver, he had 11 more tackles. So I think he's about 500 tackles on the season so far. And then Cal's three and zero for three straight years. Like that's a that's a start. You know, remember, remember was it a couple of years back we were talking about eleven and zero Cal. Three and zero though, but the teams like that can offense a little bit. And you know, I, I don't know. No, 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 no. Don't say that yet. They can't offense. <laughs> you don't want them to offense. They still shouldn't offense at all. Yeah. Well, they 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 took their foot off the gas after the twenty nothing uh, run there. Although I think they were trying to offense, they just couldn't offense. Exactly. Um, but your the injuries are another. This is another team that's you know we talked about Oregon State, Stanford. Um, so three starting offensive linemen uh, were down, uh, four outside linebackers, uh, and then uh, Christopher Brown also left the game early. The the starting running back. So something to watch. Um, so we'll see, kind of what happens with Cal. But you know, it's, I think it's a pretty good win. Uh, you know, holding North Texas to 17 points. I don't think anyone else will do that. So we'll see. We'll see. They go. They got a tough one coming up uh, on the road, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Number four, we have Washington Huskies. <laughs> All right, Washington uh, took care of business in a way we were not expecting. Oh, this game um, bugged this me. One, bugged. Yeah, me. this one was more or less over at halftime, except. Hawaii's got an explosive offense, so you, you still keep an eye on it. But, um, yeah, this one was 38-7 at half, finished 52-20, um, Washington. Um, I, I thought Jacob Eason was sharper in this one than he was against Cal. Um, that was good to see. Um, his receivers weren't quite dropping as many as they did in that game, though they still dropped a few. Um, but for the most part, I thought Eason and his receiving core seemed to connect a lot better in this game. Um, not super impressed thus far with the, uh, Washington defense and how they're replacing all those guys, particularly at linebacker, yeah. um, tackling was kind of poor in this one. Um, you know, but it's Hawaii, Hawaii runs a weird offense. Hawaii only had, you know, just under 400 yards in this game on over 80 plays. So that's not statistically bad, but just eye test wise, it doesn't yet look like those dominant Washington defenses of years past. Um, particularly at linebacker. Um, I think they need to have somebody emerge there as like a, you know, one of those, you know, Ben Burkhurvin types is just going to clean up tackles at a, at a great rate. And they don't have that yet. Um, but they handled Hawaii in a way that, you know, the two other PAC 12 teams were not able to at all. So I still think this means Washington is in that top class of the league, um, you know, to some large extent, but, um, They've got some things to iron out. I think they need to really take a long look at their receiving rotation, um, see if maybe they need to move some guys around. Um, I think they, uh, you know, need to get some better play at linebacker. Um, but there's there's enough here that Washington can still win the league. I mean, there's no reason why you need to think that they're going to be bad suddenly. They're not Stanford. Um, but they, they've got some issues. They've got a few things to, to work out, and uh, we probably – aired on the side of trusting um, everything on defense a little bit, um, which was justifiable looking at the whatever four or five years of Chris Peterson so far. Um, but they, they clearly have uh, some things still to work out there. Yeah. And this was, this was a big win for the conference. Cause you can't let Hawaii go three and zero in the PAC 12. So needed this win. I, and I, the feeling I got was 
this was taking out a little bit of frustration on, you know, following the Cal loss. Uh, you know, Hawaii away from home, certainly going to be different, but this just looked like, I mean, this was a blitzkrieg from the very beginning. I think it started out like Washington scored a touchdown, interception, touchdown. It just, they just kind of got boat raced. It was 38 nothing in the second quarter. And it was like Hawaii couldn't do anything. This just looked completely different than before. And I'm trying to like put a scenario in my mind where a Chris Peterson team was going to uh, beat a team that can score like that 52 to 20. It just sort of like the way it had to happen, like the way it would have to happen did. It just, un- you know, just rolled out that way. Like if they played again, I'm not sure it would, would go like this. Uh, but Hawaii did come back and then they were covering the spread. They, they scored 20 to cover the spread, but uh, then they just kind of stopped and, and, you know, the Washington defense took over. Uh, Huskies punched in a couple more touchdowns and this one was just crazy. We got to see Puka Nakua. Uh, his first TD. great name, yeah. all name, yeah. First TD, and catch. It, do- it doesn't it doesn't bounce off the page to you, but then you say it, and you're like, "Damn, great name!" It's a great name. Yeah, he was a USC commit for a while. Followed him around. The people thought he would end up uh, at Utah. He went to Washington. His first career catch was a nice touchdown in the end, you know end zone. I think over his right shoulder. Um, 450 yards of offense for Washington. Hawaii was held at I think 395, but they're averaging 541. Um, and I, I kind of agree with you. Like, this still looks like a really good Washington team to me. Maybe that, you know, if there's not a lightning delay, they beat Cal. Yeah, you know? and, oh, for sure. And then we're talking about a whole different thing where it's, yeah, they need to figure some things out, but they're still in really good shape. And I still think that's true. Um, it's just they're a, you know, a whatever, three-hour lightning delay against Cal from a really weird game where they lost by a point. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's just... Weird stuff happens. I still think they're, if not the absolute class of the league this year, they're right there. Uh, can we blame Larry Scott for the lightning delay or something? Sure, that, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, that's sure, sure, sure. But that's that's how like your 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 favorite or one of your favorites, you know, loses a game in conference for some weird thing, usually by your own hand, usually by you know scheduling something crazy. But this this wasn't the conference's fault. But it just seems to be weird things will happen to the teams at the top of this conference that have kind of knocked things down. And it was funny. You, you watch some of that. Well, we'll talk about this coming up, but you know, some of the PAC 12 network uh, commentators will be talking about like, you know, this team could make the playoff or whatever. And it's like, dude, you lose like the PAC 12 is probably not making the playoff. If you lose, you got to run. Like it's gotta be like Utah uh, or Washington state or Cal or someone to go undefeated. I just don't know if a one loss Pac-12 team is going to make it, but they talk about it like it's, oh, they can, Oregon can bounce back from that. I'm like, I don't think so. You lose to like, what's probably going to be a middle of the road Auburn team. I just don't think that's going to be enough to, you know. No, 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 no. I, I disagree. I think, I think a one loss Pac-12 team will have a really, really good shot. And especially a one loss Oregon team where their one loss is to a, I think analytics will tell you Auburn's going to be a top 10, top 15 team unless the bottom completely falls out this year, um, whatever they end up being in the SEC. I think uh, Oregon still has a chance. I think Washington, early loss to Cal, still has a chance. I mean, there's still some teams alive, but um, I mean, yeah, I think the, 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 the degree of difficulty for the Pac-12 is a little bit higher. Like, you cannot... You cannot have a really bad trip-up game, um, and I don't think Cal is necessarily going to qualify because Cal looks like they're going to be a little bit better than last year. And last year they were like a seven and five team, so you know if they end up eight and four, nine and three this year, well, great. I I mean, but you're gonna like 
it's Alabama and, and Clemson, and if they're going undefeated, there's two. I mean, is Georgia in or Oklahoma in or Ohio State in? Like, are those guys going to lose a game? Like, I, I mean, it's hard. Yeah, no, that's the question, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be – it's so tough to see. I think Clemson is almost guaranteed to win out, but no SEC team is ever guaranteed to win out. True, yeah. Um, Bama, Bama could very well have a trip-up game. In many years under Saban, they have at least one. Um, Oklahoma looks like a world beater, but they're always good for a weird loss or two. Um, no, I, 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 it's still completely open at this point. Obviously, it's unfortunate that two of the Pac-12's main contenders already have one loss. But if at the end of the year we're still talking about them as one-loss teams after they beat Utah to win the South or to win the conference or whatever, I think they'll have a good shot. I mean, I don't think it's a guarantee. I think if they were undefeated, it would be more or less a guarantee. Yeah. But I think I think they're still they're still very much alive. See, to me, like Ohio State looks like they're not going to get beat. Clemson, they're not going to get beat. It's so it's so early. It's true, it's yeah. so early. It's and it's so hard to say that. Like if you look at Ohio State's schedule, I mean, they still do have to play Michigan. They still have to get Wisconsin at home. I mean, there's so many weird things that can happen in that league. They have Penn State. Um, Michigan's a road game this year. They're playing at yeah, but th- those teams all look um, like butt to me. <laughs> Like, like yeah, Ohio no, State do, looks good, like, and yeah, they do. But like Ohio State's good for a weird loss every year yeah, too. They would need one. Of those, um, yeah, yeah, they'd need a weird loss, but it could totally happen. Um, I mean, they might need two weird losses. Like that's the thing with like a one. Say it's one loss. Oregon. It's like Oregon runs runs a table. Um, if if Georgia only has one loss, and like you know Alabama beats the crap out of Auburn, and you know Georgia loses in the championship game, like are you going to take Georgia or? Oregon, you know, like I, I'm just not sure. Like it's just, it's going to be tougher um, if it's not undefeated. And I, I really thought Washington had a ch- oh, chance to do it this year. Uh, agreed, and I think they've they've definitely put themselves behind a little bit. And we're, I mean, there's obviously still undefeated teams in the league right. that we should talk about, but um, I, I, I don't think either of the teams is eliminated in the way that like Stanford obviously is. All right. Well, one of those undefeated teams is our number three in the power rankings, and they could definitely make a run. We have Washington State Cougars. Yeah, don't sleep on the Cougs. Uh, so Washington State beat Houston 31-24, and honestly, it should have been a little bit more of a, a yeah. beating than that one. This um, I can't believe we did not get this cover. Like this is not like, we Pac-12 got... refs abused us. Um, <laughs> so they had horrible calls all game long against both teams. It wasn't you know they were not discriminate. Um, but one of their final calls was to wipe out a Max Borgie wheel route touchdown that was an absolute thing of beauty uh, from Anthony Gordon down the right sideline, and they wiped it out based on a. I think they called offensive pass interference like literally 50 yards from the play after the ball was already completed. It was insane that that happened. Um, and they wiped out a touchdown that would have given uh, Washington State the 14-point lead that we needed for the cover. Uh, notwithstanding, um, Washington State, I thought, looked really good in this one, um, particularly offensively. Anthony Gordon you know, shook off a, an interception um, to have a really, really nice game, completed 75% of his passes for 440 yards, and three touchdowns, um, and he was completing them to a new dude, Brandon Arcanado. Arcanado, what did we pronounce it as? Uh, I th- he caught so many balls, and I've already forgotten how to pronounce his name. Is it Arcanado? I think it's Arcanado. I think it was Arcanado. I think it was Arcanado. Arcanado. Okay. I don't know. He was really good. Uh, was getting open just really, really easily. Um, but all these receivers, 
I think it's actually a talented receiving core. It's not just the system making these guys look good. Like Desmond Patman and Aesop Winston, those guys are legitimately like athletic talents. Um, and Tay Martin, I think, is a really, really gutty player. But they were, um, I thought, really good. And um, I, I thought defensively early, um, Washington State's aggression in getting upfield with all that quickness, um, I thought it kind of hurt them a little bit. And it seemed like Houston was gashing them a little bit. Yeah. But they figured things out, especially in the second half. Um, started to hold Derek King down a little bit more. Um, he's, he's an electric player, um, but he's not super accurate throwing the ball. Um, and uh, and started to put the screws on him a little bit more. But I thought Washington State probably should have won this one by a little bit more, certainly on that Borgie touchdown. But it was another really good game. I don't think Houston is bad. So it was a, a, a nice, solid win for the Cougs. Yeah, this is a team I think that they played better in the second half. We've seen them progress uh, from, you know, as this goes. This is the harder of the three games that they had. Um, should, I mean, really should have won by more that, you know, we joke cause we want to get the, the points for, you know, picking the stuff. Right. But if you watch the game, like, yeah, this feels like, you know, Washington state's 10, 14 points better at least, uh, than, than Houston. That didn't happen, but you know, you, you need to survive a game like that on the road and, and, uh, Washington state was able to do that. Now that, you know, they, they get out of the non-conference undefeated and can kind of go into conference play and there's some tough you know, battles there. We'll see if they're able to make some sort of run uh, again. But Anthony Gordon looks like the real deal. Um, I actually played some volleyball Friday uh, early evening and then ended up watching this at a bar, like restaurant where watching it. And then, so I couldn't tell. I had to go back and look to see some of the bad calls that were afterwards. But yeah, that touchdown being wiped out was really crazy. But, you know, then they were actually covering still late and then gave up a late touchdown. And then they were driving at the very end and just kind of ran out the clock. Um, but this, yeah, this was what I felt we should have had to cover on. But uh, Washington State fans feel pretty good. You 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 got a uh, you got a bye week going into conference. <laughs> you play UCLA next, um, and they go at Utah. So I mean, if you can beat Utah on the road, this will be you know people will be talking about this Washington State team quite a bit more. So they're they're kind of getting on people's radars and. Uh, Scored a lot of points. We'll see what they're able to do uh, going forward. But you got to like what you're seeing so far from Washington State. Yeah, for sure. And um, I've got a question for you, Ryan. Yeah. What are you wearing right now? Uh, some negligee. No, actually, I'm wearing Mack Weldon underwear. <laughs> well, that's great. For you out there, the listener, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon believes in all of these things. They are so great to shop on. I went on there the other day, and I bought, and I've been raving about it. People have been talking to me about it on Twitter. My sweat shorts, my ace sweat shorts, they are so comfortable. They're the best shorts I've ever owned. I went for a run the other day in these sweat shorts, and they're so perfect. They're not falling down. They're not moving around at all. They're fitted to you. They're really comfortable. You're not getting overheated in these things. I went for a run. It was great. I recommend it so highly. I'm not even just saying this because we've got an ad read. I'm recommending those to anyone. Do it. Get those sweatshorts. Um, Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. I believe it. Uh, They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial which means they eliminate odor, Ryan. Yes. Because I know you don't know what that means. That was a good read. Um, Macwell wants you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Now, 
I do have to tell you, for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code POC. You want to go to MacWeldon.com again and enter code POC. MacWeldon, so good. It is, so, it. it is so good. And I, I love wor- working out in the underwear. I actually wore, for the first time, I wore one of the T-shirts I just got because I've made another order uh, to the gym, to my spin class this morning. And it's a little tight. I got like a, I've lost some weight. I got like a smaller size. I got a large instead of an extra large. It was a little tighter, but it felt good in uh, doing the class and doing some weights afterwards. So I, But I, I don't have the shorts yet. I got to try those shorts. Get the sweat shorts. They're so comfortable. Okay. Nice. I, I'm going to start talking about them in just my da- daily life. Like, not even when we're getting, like, paid for an ad read. No, yeah. it's just Mack Weldon sweatshorts. That's my personal brand. It's uh, it's funny because, like, we, you know, we get, you know, uh, ad reads and stuff like that. And you try it. I'm like, wait, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's, it's – yeah. I, I, I feel so good <laughs> about endorsing Mack Weldon because those were extremely comfortable. All right. Um, we still got a couple games left. Our number two team – Utah Utes. All right. Utah uh, beat the absolute piss out of Idaho State. Doesn't matter. Useless game. Nothing to learn here except they didn't cover. No, they um, did. Oh, yeah. They, wait, they did? No, they uh, they didn't cover. We picked uh, We picked them not to cover. We picked. That's what I was getting. Oh, at. okay. Yeah. Cut me off. Come on. Sorry. Cut me off in the middle of my prime. Did I really? It's fine. Uh, Wait, no, crap. I, I totally problem. skipped. I did the wrong one. This is our number one team. I totally skipped Oregon. I am terrible. Jesus. Well, we're talking number one first. We're talking Utah. Talk Utah first. They're number one. Fine. They beat the P out of Idaho State. Who even cares? Tyler Huntley's really good. He does not get enough credit, even from us, for being a really good quarterback at this stage of his young career. Zach Moss was fine. Just whatever. You're playing Idaho State, and the defense crushed him. I've got nothing else to say yeah. about this football game. 31 nothing. Zach Moss, 10 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, they, you know, we saw some explosive plays, which is good. 82-yard uh, pass from Huntley. Uh, that was nice. Brian Thompson had two catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns, so that's not a bad day. But there was, you know, it is Idaho State, but there was some explosive plays, so that's good. Uh, we'll yeah. see, you know, they got a Friday night game coming up. We'll talk about that in a bit, but that was our number one team. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. Um, you know, this is long. Honestly. Our number two team we have Oregon Ducks. They also played a useless game that we don't care about, but they beat up on Montana 35 to three. They also didn't cover. We had them covering. Yeah, so this great. was, this game bothered me. Like they scored 77 against a good team the week before. And it was sort of like the, the Washington revenge thing, and then, then they come back and they kind of take their foot off the gas against an FCS but opponent. But did they? They still had Justin Herbert playing in this game way late. They did. He had, I mean, he had five touchdowns. He had over 300 yards passing, but it wasn't like it wasn't what we saw the week before where it was just I like— hate that I, I hate that I watched enough of this game to know that Justin Herbert was playing way late. <laughs> that speaks to some like real level of sickness. Yeah, and they could have covered at the end. Sean Dollars was run, like running at the—like he had like a— you know, <laughs> a scrub carry late in the game, and he got caught from behind a long run. Like that's why you're not starting, Sean Dollars. Like, what was that? Like, was Montana really tougher than Nevada? Now Montana's a good FCS team, um, but yeah, you know, it was weird. That I think I think Montana averaged like 520 yards a game, and, and Oregon was able to kind of live with them. But they were living in the backfield. Um, I think they just had just eight yards rushing in this game. Um, I don't know. It's just 
that bothered me that I, I, Oregon should have scored a lot more points in this one. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. They should have scored at least seven more. Yeah. <laughs> and Actually, they, at least five more. Yeah, it was. Th- there was another one. So it was like this is a, you know, it ended up being thirty-five to three. The spread was thirty-six and a half. Um, so I, I don't know. There was. The, that's why I, I feel like the picks were good this week, and there was a couple that were just like that should have been the other way. That should have been the other way, and they just did, they weren't. But I mean, that's how that that happens. Yeah, that's how picks happen. Yeah, yep. but I don't feel like we won any because it was like the ones we won. You're like, oh yeah, I knew that. Like. The ones that were like close, they were like coin flips. They're like, this should have went one way. They, they kind of didn't, but. Yep. All right. Well, we have, uh, that's our, that's our Pac-12 roundup. Is that crazy? That was long. That was, uh, what, an hour and 15 or so? I think so. That's, that's crazy. Um, yeah. well, I think that's the most games we ever had to do. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, pretty good overall. And now we have a manageable number of games. Now we have a manageable number to, um, preview. So. We'll start with that. We have one uh, Friday game that's going to be a good one. We have the visiting Utah Utes traveling to L.A. to take on USC Trojans. All right. This one's on at 6 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, number 10, Utah, traveling to USC. Utah is favored by four points at this juncture. This opened, I want to say it opened as a pick and then moved to Utah minus four. Really? I think it did. I'm I'm trying to remember what I saw literally yesterday, and it's very difficult for me to do that because I have a bad brain. Um, let me see. Hang on. Uh, yeah, it opened as pick, and now it is Utah minus four. Um, Crazy. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and actually, some lines have it at minus four and a half right now. So, um, okay. So looking at this game, um. It kind of depends on what you expect to see from USC uh, following getting punched in the mouth by BYU. Are they going to rally or are they not? Uh, I know what Ryan's going to say, which is not, um, (laughs) because he's used to watching USC. And I'm going to agree with him. I say Utah covers this. I think they're playing better. Um, I think Tyler Huntley will be uh, one of the best players on the field. I think Zach Moss um, will be able to do his thing, and if BYU's defensive line was able to manhandle this USC offensive line, I am interested to see what Utah's defensive line does to them. Yeah. Because that's a much better and tougher group. So I think it could be the same sort of story as um, the previous game, except Utah's probably just better fundamentally than BYU. So I like Utah by a touchdown. Yeah, it's kind of like BYU and Utah are the same team, except one's better. Like the one's like five years older. It's like the older brother of the dude that, you, you know, this guy just beats you in pickup basketball. Now you got to play his older brother who's just like him, but exactly. better. Um, th- here's the thing, the caveat, though, and this is if we get this wrong, this will be why. Um, you don't want to go too high, too low. This is still a really talented USC team. Uh, when, they're, when they've taken their foot off the gas on offense, it's hurt them. Do they keep their pedal in metal and just let Slovis throw the football all over the place? I don't think Utah's going to be dropping eight guys in the coverage like BYU did. That's something that really kind of confused Slovis, and he threw it, tried to throw in some windows that weren't there. There was underneath coverage he didn't see, and guys would go up and, and pick the ball. So it could be a little different, but that front is so much better. It's the best defensive line, most likely, in the Pac-12. It's an offensive line that's playing better. That They, they had to replace a lot of guys, but they're still playing well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think – USC's defense has been susceptible to edge stuff, and both Huntley and Moss can hurt you there. So I, I think Utah covers this one, but they haven't won in the Coliseum for 100 years. So, I mean, 
we've seen number three Utah come into the Coliseum before and get upset uh, a couple years back. So we'll see if that happens. But I'm I'm going to go with uh, Utah as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, this is an out of conference game, Dave. We have California Golden Bears. <laughs> All right, 9 a.m. on ESPNU, number 23, Cal. Ranked Cal, traveling to Ole Miss to take on Mississippi. Uh, They, Mississippi, minus one and a half. They are favored in this football game. Mississippi's favored. Mississippi is favored in this football game. So, um, all right, not knowing a whole lot yet about Mississippi. I'm going to open up their little team page here on ESPN. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, they beat Southeastern Louisiana 40-29 to last week and beat Arkansas 31-17 the previous week and lost to Memphis in week one 15-10. Yeah. That, I, I think I watched some of that one. It wasn't that pretty. No. Um, so, if we're thinking about this properly, I'm thinking... Cal's going to win. Yeah. Cal's, Cal's a better football team. Now, there's odds makers types and, and advanced analytics types will tell you that Ole Miss is a lot better than Cal, but I'm not going to believe him this time. I like Cal to win outright. I think they're playing good football. I think if, if this Ole Miss team is capable of scoring 10 points against Memphis, they're certainly capable of scoring 10 against Cal, and I think Cal will just have just enough offense to deal with that. So I like Cal to win this one. Uh, does Ole Miss still have Shea Patterson? No, no, he's gone. <laughs> he's, he's long gone. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched some old miss. I wasn't impressed. Um, not super impressed with the Cal offense. Like we've talked about, but I, I, and, and it's tough to go on the road and win a game like this. I could see Cal going there and just kind of completely falling flat on their face, but I'm going to have some faith. Uh, the Justin Wilcox train, the, uh, Tim DeRuiter train. The, the defense is going to play well. I, I feel like you know you can win an ugly game on the road. Uh, if you know, hopefully the, the the injury situation is a little bit better uh, with the run game because they can do a little offense with the run game. Chase Garbers doesn't turn the ball over. Hopefully, and uh, Cal wins this one. So yeah, getting a point and a half. I'll take Cal in this one too. So I, I'm going to agree with you, Dave. Cool. Uh, next up, we have another uh, non conference matchup this is a team that's played two uh pac-12 teams already and this is the second week in a row washington's gonna play a team that's played two pac-12 teams already we have washington huskies all right so this is twelve thirty on abc or espn2 depending on where you are number 22 washington traveling to provo to take on byu Washington six-point road favorites. All right, so if we're operating on the theory of last week, which is that Washington, they're just looking at the Pac-12 team struggling against that opponent, and then they say, okay, we're going to beat the piss out of them now. Washington should cover this one. Um, But will BYU be able to do similar stuff to Washington that they were able to do against USC? Um, Are they going to drop into coverage the same way they did against USC, against this more balanced Washington offense? I don't know. I don't think so. And will their defensive line be able to batter the Washington offensive line the way they were able to batter the USC offensive line? I don't know. That's more likely. Um, Washington's offensive line hasn't been wonderful yet this year. Um, but still, I think Washington um, maybe is in that kind of mood to beat up on some teams after you know losing last week to Cal and then uh, beating the crap out of Hawaii this past week. BYU... 
I don't know if they're that good, honestly. Um, that said, Zach Wilson can certainly run the ball a little bit. Um, I'll take Washington to cover the six. I don't think they cover it by a ton, but I think they win this one by a touchdown. Yeah, I think it was more than a touchdown. I would be thinking about this more. But under a touchdown, I'm going to take Washington on the road. I mean, I've watched every BYU game. Uh, I mean, it was a miracle they beat Tennessee. Tennessee's not very good. Uh, they beat USC. You know, took three turnovers versus none. I, I just feel like Washington's going to play a much cleaner game. And, you know, they're not going to be – their offense is not going to be shut down by – they ran this coverage. We don't know what to do sort of thing. So I just feel it's a much better coach team. They still got a lot of really good athletes all over the place. And uh, I think BYU, great run to go uh, two and two in their non-conference slate. But I think Washington is going to get them and, you know, by 10, 14 points, something like that. For sure. Yeah. So we'll see. See if we're right there. We're, we're agreeing on everything. It's not going to let me catch up, but need to get, you know, get over 500 first and we can kind of catch things. All right. Then we got uh, three conference games left. Uh, first up we have, which looked like it was going to be good early, but maybe not anymore. Uh, we have Stanford Cardinal and Oregon Ducks. Yeah, this is 4 p.m. on ESPN, number 16, Oregon, traveling to Stanford. Oregon's favored by 10. I will take Oregon no matter what. Like if this line was Oregon minus 21, I would take Oregon. I don't think anyone has caught up to exactly how bad Stanford is this year. Uh, they are ferocious. Absolutely. Herocious. They were herocious. Thank you. They were herocious. Thank you. They were herocious. It doesn't even really matter how good Oregon is. I, I would pick almost anybody in the Pac-12 in this spot, except for like UCLA and Oregon State. Um but Oregon, I think, is actually really good, too. Um, I think people might also be underrating Oregon based on the opening loss to Auburn, which was a close, close loss. So, uh, yeah, I like Oregon to just absolutely crush Stanford in this game. I think it's going to be ugly. Um, I think Stanford is reeling right now. I think they have a lot of things to figure out. I don't think this is a great matchup for them. Um, so, yeah, I like Oregon to win this one by a lot. Man, we could not disagree. Oh, no, I agree with you. Yeah, there's no way. Um Stanford just does not look good. I think Justin Herbert's going to throw five more touchdowns. It's yeah, this is not a lot of points um, in in the context. So this is not the Oregon Stanford's of the last few years. This is going to be a, a beatdown. So I think the Ducks want to do. You know, they it's doing one thing if you beat Nevada bad. I think they want to come into conference play and get a really good win. And this is going to be a chance. There, you know, some revenge potentially, right? So. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be a beatdown. So sorry, Stanford, but I think Oregon's going to roll in this one. Uh, so we're agreeing. We're agreeing again. Um, next up, we have Colorado Buffalo. Heading to Tempe to take on Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> this is a 7 p.m. Pac-12 Network game. Come on, Pac-12. This is a ranked team. They should be on a network people can watch. Uh, Colorado traveling to number 24, Arizona State. ASU is favored by 7.5 points. Um, So this one really comes down to – so Colorado's defense has been very bad this year, but ASU's offense has also really struggled largely because of offensive line issues. So it really comes down to, okay, is Arizona State's offensive line in such bad shape that they're not going to be able to dictate to Colorado? Um 
or conversely is, you know, Colorado's defense able to um, handle an offense that's got as many issues right now as Arizona State's. And I really don't know. I like the thing that I like in this game is Arizona State has Jaden Daniels, who's super poised and he's been poised against much better defenses than Colorado's. Um, And I think they're probably, you know, feeling a little bit better about themselves with Cole Cabral at center than um, what they were doing with uh, Donovan West. Um, So I, I think Arizona State's offense could break out a little bit in this game. And then defensively, with the way Steven Montez has looked so far this year, I just don't know if you can peg exactly what you're going to get out of Colorado's offense any given game. And Arizona State has not been a bad defense so far this year. Um, I think I like Arizona State to cover the seven and a half at home. I think they're going to win this one by a couple of touchdowns. Wow. Okay, we'll disagree on this one. I'm going to take your buffs uh, because, you know, Arizona State doesn't seem to have If you're going to be give me a spread where it's more than a touchdown with Arizona State, I'm going to say it's going to be a close game no matter what. So where are the points going? If it's a if it's a big spread involving Arizona State, I'm always going to take the points. That's going to be my philosophy. Uh, I'm going to take Colorado here. I think they can. uh, I think they can bounce back a little bit. I think uh, even though it's on the road, I feel like they can play well. They've played better in the second half. They've made these runs. So seven and a half is just a lot. I, I. it just seems to me the odds are going to be it's going to be a close game somehow. And uh, Colorado has a chance to come out and win this one. But I'm going to go uh, with the Buffs and give me those seven and a half points. All right. Yeah. So we'll see. There's one we have different. And then, because yeah, I don't think we're going to get this one different. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> so uh, we have UCLA Bruins. They're going to go on the road and uh, take on a little team we like to call Washington State Cougars. <laughs> This is 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. UCLA traveling to number 19, Washington State. Washington State is favored by 20 even points right now. Uh, This might be the first time in a very, very long time that UCLA has been more than 20-point dogs in two consecutive games. Actually, I was trying to figure that out, and I can't place the last time it would have happened, if it's ever happened. Um, So that's a thing. That's a thing worth talking about. Um, Washington state has looked very good through the air. UCLA's past defense has been awful. Um, it's one of a few things that have been especially awful about this almost completely awful team. Um, I I think UCLA might have its best game offensively in this game, just because Washington state can tend to be a little bit undisciplined defensively. Um, but I also think there's a good chance that Washington state hangs a 50 spot on the Bruins. Um, and I don't see them scoring enough to make up that spread. So give me the Cougs. I think they win this one by at least three touchdowns, possibly as many as five. Yeah, 100% agreement there. I mean, they could definitely put up 50 at home. Um, I, I mean, if UCLA had like four Darnay Holmeses, maybe, but like they pretty much have one good corner, right? No one else is like that good. One good corner, one good safety, and the rest of the secondary has really struggled this year, and Darnay Holmes has only been back a game. Yeah, so uh, I think this is one, like you said, the odd makers needed to push this higher to make you think about it. It should have been like 25 or something. To I think 20s to under three touchdowns is too little in this one. So uh, you know, you play this game nine times out of 10, I think Washington State's going to cover it. So we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll lay the points as well with Wazoo. All right, so we only pick different on one then. We only have one different one, but I think I think we have a pretty good shot at uh, you know adding, and you know, you could add to your uh, your well above five hundred record. 
I could. So I could do it. It's good. So we'll see. Uh, I mean, I just don't. The old Miss one, I'm not. You know, I just don't know. I mean, I've only seen one of their games. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we let's take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, answer questions. All right. Here we go. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Well, we are back here on the podcast of champions. Um, should be interesting, Dave. We have uh, we don't have as many questions because we uh, recorded, I think, last Wednesday, and we're doing Monday. But we had a couple of people send in uh, repeats, uh, so that's nice. But uh, yeah, we there's a there's a kind of a theme, and maybe I'll start with uh, Alex who resent this in. It's a UC, he calls it UCLA rebuild. Uh, he says, "Hello, gents. Uh, resubmitting this question from a week ago." But I had a follow-up to Dave's post-game broadcast after the SDSU game. After the game, he discussed that a rebuild in a world where Chip leaves or is fired next year would take at least two years, and you'd have to be willing to accept a few three and nine records because the next coach would have inherited a decimated roster created by Kelly's purge and inability to recruit even sometimes. But that's UCLA in a vacuum. What happens in a world where USC goes and hires Urban Meyer in the offseason and is now one full year into the USC job when UCLA needs to get a new coach and rebuild a roster with no product to sell? How slash can UCLA rebuild in a world if Urban is across town? Thanks. Enjoying the depressing thought, Dave. Uh, Alex NSB. I think the scenario where USC hires Urban is obviously one where USC will suddenly be dominant again in college football. But that simply because USC is very good doesn't preclude UCLA from also being good. It may preclude them from also being very good. I don't know if there are enough wins to go around in the South. But there's enough talent in the LA area that both teams can be good at one time. And especially when USC is operating at a super elite level, they're also picking and choosing from national recruits, not just recruiting the LA area. Um, so even in that scenario, um, I still think there's enough room for UCLA to get good fairly quickly. UCLA, independent of anything else, is always – it's not USC when it comes to, quote, recruiting itself. Again, that's kind of a not a literal statement. Chip Kelly, it's not a literal statement. It just means there's advantages. But UCLA does have some natural advantages, namely due to location. Um, and so when UCLA is bad, it's always only a couple or two to three years away from getting good. The thing is, UCLA has now been in a run of hiring the wrong coach, either through absolute, just complete dereliction of duty, which is what the three hires before Chip Kelly were, and then Chip Kelly, which is just bad luck. Um but if UCLA ever does get its act together, hires the right coach at the right time, um, no, they're they're two to three years away at any given moment. Um, it just takes 
for because of the way Chip Kelly has recruited and managed the roster, it'll take maybe a little bit longer than it would in normal circumstances. You know, Mora didn't need even a full year to get that roster rebuilt. Um, but because Kelly's going to purge it down to like late period Durrell levels, um, it's going to take perhaps two years. But it really shouldn't take longer than that. Um, no rebuild in college football should take longer than two to three years. If you're hearing people talk about a two, about a four or five year rebuild, and that's what the coach is spinning, that's nonsense. That shouldn't happen in college football. Um, certainly not uh, from where UCLA was at the end of the Mora era, um, where they were, you know, four and eight one year because Josh Rosen got hurt, and then six and seven. That's not cratered. That's that's just you know pretty bad. You don't go from pretty bad to three and nine, and then whatever this year ends up, um, if you're actually building a functional rebuild, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think you know it depends on who UCLA hires. We'll talk more about Chip Kelly, right? But yeah, I'm just this is all baffling to me. Like I, I cannot believe I'm off the Chip Kelly bandwagon, but I am. It's one of it's one of many areas where I wish deeply that well, it's actually one of a very few areas because this has never happened to me before, but. I wish deeply that my initial instinct, like after the spring game, his first year was wrong. <laughs> yeah, you were, yeah, you were kind of off it early. I was off it from the jump, more or less. Like after I got over the initial high, and then I was like reading that that now infamous Chris Brown article about Chip Kelly's tendencies um, with the Niners and Eagles. Uh, yeah. Anyway, crazy. Not great. All right, you want to do the next? We have an international one. You want to take this one? Yes, this is Chris from Seoul. Which is the better take? Just as Jake Browning has come to personify inadequate quarterback play, Lynn Swan will serve the same purpose for inept AD or any other leadership role for that matter performance. Don't wait. Call it now. 2019 big game belongs to Cal, barring a major lightning storm. Champagne Larry can lead us to greatness. He needs to ink an alliance with the Mountain West, whereby two Pac-12 teams are relegated each year and two Mountain West teams are elevated. Would make Beaver and Wildcat games a lot more relevant and... UCLA games, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, thinking large, add the big sky and let their two best swap with the Mountain West bottom two. Makes Ducks Grizz mean something because soon they might be in the same conference. Hoping the Pac-12 wins all the remaining non-con games. I like it, Chris. What, which take do you like? I love the – so we've talked like relegation stuff before, which neither of us are soccer fans, but I like it. But this could be cool for to help the Pac-12 where you just say, all right, you know, it's hard to compete with the SEC and the Big Ten. We're going to partner with the Mountain West, and we're going to send teams up and down. And I think it would make things more competitive. What do you, I, I think I love that take. I think it would be a lot of fun. I don't know if it would improve anything, but I think it would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So why not? Um, I think my favorite of these takes, I think the best one, the most accurate possible one is middle. I mean, Cal's going to win the big game. Yeah. Big, big um, game, not the big game, but just big game. The big game, yeah, yeah. B- big game. The big game, right. No, we're saying the same thing. Um, and then the third one uh, is obviously the most interesting. Yeah, that would be uh, pretty cool. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Chris and Soul. Uh, this is, let's see, who's this one from? Kevin. It all boils down to one question. Uh, so this is a copy of an email they did last week. Uh, I'm guessing most UCLA fans are wondering what I'm wondering when does basketball start? Is this UCLA football's version of Groundhog Day replaying last season over again? Just yikes. Okay, so we've seen opponents execute pass plays like our defense was called up from the local elementary school. How about UCLA's offense copy those pass plays, 
run those patterns so wide open so often. Why don't our pass plays look that wide open? From macro to micro, how much of Dorian's struggle, see he's talking about DTR, is due to his lack of games played? I mean, I checked out his high school career and found out he's only played one season there. And then last year, not all the games. So he really has less than two seasons of meaningful game experience. I get that there are plenty of other problems for the team to address and that the losses cannot be laid at Dorian's feet. I was just wondering how important is missing so many high school games, how it might be affecting his performance at this time. Even though it's a lower level of football, he's missed a lot of decision-making under fire, which seems critical to building the body of work from which he can draw. Um, do you want you want to answer that, and then we'll finish it up? Yeah, let's let's talk about Dorian because I think this is a valuable discussion. There's no getting around the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson is very bad right now, um, and I think you've nailed it to an extent, which is that a lot of it is due to his lack of games played. But that is not just a that's not just a thing that improves via experience. The lack of games played means also there's not there hasn't been a ton of evaluation time for him either, um, and so. Yes, he could show remarkable strides soon, right? And he could become a very good quarterback because I think that's still out there for him because, again, he's only really played one complete season of, you know, football as a quarterback um, and parts of two or three. That said, there's also a chance that there isn't much upside there and that he doesn't ever get it figured out and he just doesn't have the feel for it that he needs to have to play the position. If you watched him take three sacks against Oklahoma, and this came in before Oklahoma, um, the the way he took them, I mean, that just showed kind of a lack of feel for the position, running straight back from a pass rush to dro- get dropped for what should have been a three-yard loss was instead a 15- to 20-yard loss. That one was and huge. Then, like he, It's like he... And, and it, hap- yeah. it happened three times. I mean, it, it happened, you know, after the first time, you'd think, okay, I got to do something different here. But it's the same thing. Um, and that's something that comes with experience if it comes, but it might not come. So, yes, I think you're right, but it's also, you got to extrapolate from there. Well, can you project that he's going to figure all this stuff out? I mean, experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't always impact the people the same way. He's got a lot of physical tools. He's got a great arm, um, and he can really rocket the ball around. Um, but that's not enough. And you know he can really run, but that's also not enough. He's got to be able to do, you know, the decision making. And Chip Kelly couldn't make it a lot easier on him for sure. And I think he's trying to the last couple of games. I think it's been simplified. I think they're trying to use his legs more, but it could get even simpler and faster. Um, if they say ran an offense that was even simpler and faster than the one they're running right now, just that's just my thought. Maybe they could do that. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe actually, if you go back um, deep into the annals of Chip Kelly's <laughs> history, maybe uh, you could find an offense that might just might uh, fit a um, inexperienced but arm talented and athletically talented quarterback a little bit better than this one. I, I and I don't know. Maybe that offense doesn't exist. Maybe there doesn't exist an offense in Chip Kelly's history that specifically applies to that specific situation. Um, but I, I just have to imagine somewhere deep, deep in the history of Chip Kelly coaching offensive football that somehow there's an offense that made it a little bit easier to play quarterback. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe, bit, like, for example, like maybe an offense where currently the like four players who played in it in college, and this is just me spitballing, but two of them are now playing in Canadian league football. And one of them is like an insurance salesman. 
Um, maybe an offense that was good enough to make those guys look like Heisman contenders. <laughs> uh, just again, this is just my my speculation, just a hypothetical. Obviously, that offense might not exist. Well, yeah, the the press conference today, uh, Chip Kelly was asked about that um, that ancient history kind of offense that he ran way back when he was coaching Oregon. Uh, it seemed like he'd rather run the wishbone than that Oregon blur. I, I, I know you tweeted a few times about this. You seem to be baffled the fact that Chip Kelly didn't want to go all the way back seven years ago and run that offense. Well, he's just – so first, he's a complete jerk to the media. Like when they ask completely reasonable questions. Today it was Ben Bolich who asked like some really good questions, but one of them was – why aren't you running the Oregon offense from seven years ago? And frankly, nobody has asked him that question. Nobody has. Um, it's a year and a half in. It was time to ask that question. And then Chip Kelly was a complete jerk in the response. And he's like, I don't even know why people keep asking me that question. I don't know. You got to get off that, man. That was forever ago. Football evolves. And But here's the thing. People are still running versions of that offense. This is not a version of that offense. This is a completely different offense. So make the case for why you're doing this. Don't say, we're not going to do that because we've never done that. UCF is still running a version of this offense. Scott Frost at Nebraska is still running a version of the Blur offense. Why Why are you not, Chip? Um, and I think it's as simple that he got kind of bored with it or decided that it wasn't going to work because of X, Y, and Z. But say that. Don't just be dismissive and a jerk about the whole thing especially when that is the one time you have been a successful coach. Literally the one time that you have been a successful head coach is when you were running this offense. And every time you've tried to move away from it, because even if you look at the Eagles, when he first got there and was running tempo, they were great. And then as soon as he stopped, they were not so great. And then they were bad at the Niners, and now he's bad at UCLA. So why did you switch? Do you think it's gone well? What proof do you have that this is going to work? Like, these are the obvious follow-ups to that whole take. Um, and for him to be so dismissive when it's the obvious and necessary question right now is ridiculous. Yeah. It's sort of like a, it's like this child actor that gets typecast and you're trying to just break away from the mold that for whatever reason, like, if you if you grew up and you're playing, you know, you're Donnie, was it Bonaducci? You're playing like Danny, is it Danny Masterson from the... Uh, the Partridge Family is that is that who he played? No, Danny Masterson is the uh, actor in that seventy. Oh, the seventy. Oh, yeah, whatever. But like uh, the t- Donny Osmond. No. Uh, no. Who's who's? Um, we don't know anything. Whatever. Yet. Like you're Peter Brady. You know whatever. Like th- that's who you are forever. Um, the the chick that was in. Uh, no, no. It's it's the Eagles playing some new band and all you want to playing some new song and all you want to hear is hotel california i like that all you want to hear is desperado play the friggin hits buddy nobody nobody signed you so you could figure out what your next step was going to be your experimental move people signed you because for six years at oregon you ran the best offense in the country that's the only reason people care about you chip yeah. So run that stupid thing or run a variation of it. But don't run this slow down piece of crap that is getting scouted out in real time to the point where all your shifts and motions are generating exactly no motion in the defense because they understand that it's window dressing. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty bad. But there's like it's coaches can be stubborn. It seems like Chip Kelly's gonna be really stubborn about this. Like, I am not going to run that thing that works. I'm gonna run something else. 
Um, yeah. He, well, he, Kevin's finished off. Back to Macro. Hey, Stanford looks beatable. Sigh. Just not by UCLA. Thanks for all the laugh guys. Laughs, guys. At least there's something positive coming out of this football season. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. All right, this is Tag in Salt Lake. No offensive line in Utah? Uh, oh, yeah, this is our very, very tired offensive and defensive line rankings. At the end right, of last yes. Week, which I, I do. I, 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 I cannot defend it anyway. Yeah. Um, Ryan and Dave, I was surprised that you gave Utah a no on offensive line in your last episode. They looked great against BYU, over 250 yards on the ground, and haven't allowed a sack all season. Last year, Utah allowed seven sacks against NIU, and the group turned out to be pretty decent. I wouldn't put them in the top two or three in the conference, but I don't think they'll be far behind by the end of the year. They did struggle a little with some run blitzes against NIU, but they were missing the starting center and guard. Both got a little binged up against, dinged up against uh, BYU, but should be back this week. I can understand being a little uncertain, but I think giving them a no is going to look pretty bad in a couple of weeks. Thanks for the content, and go Utes. Completely fair tag. We are idiots. Well, I mean, but this was a—the defensive line was intact coming back. This was a. There was questions on the offensive line going forward, and I think they've played pretty well. Uh, they had a whole bunch of rushing yards against BYU. Don't don't defend us. But this was We're morons. It was being rebuilt. It wasn't like they had you know. No, don't it's not like Oregon's line morons. coming back or anything. All right, that's fine. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Tag. <laughs> uh, they do look pretty good. Um, yeah, okay, do. we have this is from. Which one's this one? Why does it say clipped? Okay, uh, from Danny. What's up, Brian and Dave? I have two quick questions after witnessing both UCLA and USC crap the bed this last weekend. His first question. After the last three performances, do you all feel like Chip Kelly is officially on the hot seat? What is the current state of the UCLA fan base after these three ugly losses? The turnout didn't seem that great, uh, even with them literally handing out free tickets for this game. If he's not on the hot seat, what would it take? Okay, do we want to address that one sure, first? Sure, yeah, let's do that. Um, he is not officially on the hot seat. However, if they go, I would say even one and 11 or 0 and 12, there's a not insignificant chance that he goes from not on the hot seat to fired within a couple of games. Um, because the optics of that are going to look so bad. Uh, season ticket sales will be in the tank and I'm not completely sold that he wouldn't just be like, I, I want out of this thing. Um, and he kind of did that in the could, NFL, right? He kind of, well, to an extent. And also like, you could see it just like completely start to snowball too. Whenever a season doesn't just go bad, but goes completely off the rails, which is what it would need to do to go one 11 row and 12. There's a lot of offshoot stuff that happens too. guys transfer out guys spout off on social media, uh, negative things start getting said by parents in public situations. Like, these sorts of things will start happening because Chip Kelly hasn't really endeared himself to anyone. Um, He hasn't endeared himself to the media. He hasn't endeared himself to parents. He hasn't endeared himself to the players on his football team. So I don't know that it would take um, all that much to get things kind of in a really bad place here pretty quickly. Um, And if we're talking about a coach who's by the end of this year, something like four and 23 or five and 22, um, Whatever UCLA is thinking right now, and I know the thinking right now is we're almost certainly not going to fire him after this year, that calculation might very well change by the end of the year. This thing could get very bad. It could go off the rails, and there's no telling what that's going to mean. Yeah. Right now, if you told me he went 0-12 this year, I would expect, even given the information we know, that he probably wouldn't, given what everyone else is thinking right now, 
I don't think anybody can anticipate what it's going to look like at the end of the year. And given that, I would say if he goes 0-12, I think he's going to get fired. Yeah. Because nobody survives 0-12. That doesn't happen in college football. So whatever UCLA is thinking, whatever the boosters are thinking, whatever Casey Wasserman or Troy Aikman are thinking or whatever, that's going to change after 0-12 yeah. if they go 0-12. That would be – I mean, you tweeted about that, how glorious that would be. That would be glorious. It would be majestic. <laughs> and that's the thing. is like going 3-9 and – Whatever, that sucks, but it all sucks. Do you want to be sucky, or do you want to be so epically and historically sucky that you can't even win a game? Yeah. I think you want to be impressive, and that's going winless. Yeah. Uh, Number two, he said, if you could pick right now, who do you think loses their job first, Chip Kelly or Clay Helton, and why? I would say Clay, and because of exactly what Dave said, that Chip's not going to get fired like midseason where Clay could win his – lose his next three games, they hire a new athletic director, and he could be out. Oh, man. What do you think? Are you, you're, you're, you don't know about this one? It's got to be Clay Helton. Yeah. I was like, yeah. really? You're hesitating on this one? Yeah, it's got to be Clay Helton. It's just there's still a chance, I guess, that they could turn things around this year. But, yeah, I mean, I, what's more likely? Chip Kelly goes 0-12 or Clay Helton has a disappointing year? And, obviously, it's Clay Helton having a disappointing yeah, year. Yeah, I just think with – the BYU loss, like that sort of like ends it. Like, I, I don't know if you can come back from that outside of making a run and going 11 and one. Like, I don't even think 10 and two with the BYU loss and then like not winning the Pac-12 is going to do it. Like, I think you lose to BYU. That's, it's like a game changer. So. You're right. You're right. I'm letting my, uh, I'm letting my personal feelings on my judgment. <laughs> well, who knows what, you know, they don't have an athletic director yet. So uh, he says, thanks fellas. Been listening to the podcast since its first episode. Wow. Thanks. Uh, I love it and recommend it to as many people as I can. Keep up the gr- good work. Uh, fight on. Thanks, Danny. Well, thanks for telling people, Danny. We do appreciate that. Very much appreciate it, Danny. Um, all right. This is our boy Hitler Day. Saddle tramps. All right. Uh, I was only watching Texas Tech Arizona with half an eye and the volume off, so maybe I missed something. But it struck me as weird that Tech's offense wasn't challenging Arizona with the deep ball very often outside of that early spectacular catch since, A, that's how Hawaii carved him up. B, throwing it all over was definitely textile before Matt Wells got there. And C, it's also what Wells preferred using Jordan Love for at, your Oregon, at Utah State, which is what got him the job. Uh, did you boys notice the same thing? And if so, what do you think that was about? Was there an explanation on the broadcast? I, too, was listening to this with the sound off, or I wasn't paying attention to the sound, so I don't know if they were explaining it on the broadcast. They certainly did go to, seem to go underneath way oh, more. tons. Um, and I, I did think they should have challenged Arizona deep. I couldn't tell on the broadcast if it was, you know, what coverage Arizona was throwing out there because maybe it was just dictating the short throws. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they should have been taking more shots in this game. Um, I, I I don't know if it's something weird they scouted, but if they watched the Hawaii game, they should have known that how, how you beat Arizona is taking the top off. So, yeah, I thought it was a little bit weird watching it. Um, I thought Texas Tech did not have a great game plan for that defense, but I'm not sure if Arizona had just adjusted things with their um, with their coverage look to make it just kind of forced. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had the sound on. I don't remember hearing that, but they threw – I know there's one deep ball that was picked off. I think both, like, interceptions early were on deeper passes, but I, this is always a pet peeve of mine, and when you see defenses kind of crowding the line of scrimmage because – Teams are doing a lot of like dump offs and screens and things. And, you know, defenses just kind of walk up and like, all right, you throw something over the top and, and offenses don't adjust. And they're still trying to do their line of scrimmage stuff right into the teeth of the defense. And that's what it felt like to me. 
is that they weren't after they threw a couple picks early, they weren't taking any shots. And uh, it just didn't look like the Texas Tech kind of offense that we've seen before. I know it's not, you know, Matt Wells is running something different, but I, I, I just felt like they had the firepower to kind of do more in the air. And they just, I mean, they just let Arizona kind of dictate everything that was going on. They were, and Arizona was flying around the field. Uh, got, everyone was seemed to be making plays. No one seemed to be able to break a tackle. It, it just was different than what we've seen from Arizona. So yeah, that was, that was definitely something I noticed too, Hitler day. And it was strange, but uh, I don't remember any kind of explanation on the broadcast. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is Bobby. Pac-12, Pac-12-ing. Hey, guys. The Pac-12 just acknowledged they blew a call for leaping in the ASU versus Michigan State game. I have a problem with this for the following reasons. One, there were at least several other blown calls this game, including a dubious PI call that allowed Michigan State to even have a chance at a field goal in the first place. So why acknowledge one? I know why. And it's... And it's really cynical, but it's because uh, Mark D'Antonio made a stink out of it on national TV. Yeah. That's the only reason the Pac-12's released anything about this thing. But I agree with you. Of all the calls that weekend, of all the things they did, just because that one impacted the Big Ten coaches' precious feelings, it became the one that they acknowledged. But they could have gone in, and I'm not kidding, picked 10 calls in the the, uh, Washington State game that were worse, or like three or four other calls in this game. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, and they're, um, th- those are the criteria, if you read the criteria, like it has to be like some end of, and, and John Wilner wrote about this, it has to be like an end of the game thing. Or there's, there's like four different criteria you have. I don't have them in front of me. Um, but this at least met, you know, one of them because it was like the end of the game sort of game-changing thing. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I don't think this was worse than, than a, a lot of other calls we saw. And then two, he said the Pac-12 finally gets six ranked teams in the top 25 for the first time since 2015. And of course, their first instinct is to shoot themselves in the foot. It's amazing that they're uh, co-towing the the random... Cow-towing. I'm sorry, cow-towing, cow-towing sorry. Uh, the random Big Ten team. Yet, when they, actu- when they actually harm Pac-12 teams, the league has nothing to say. Thanks, Bobby. I think that's... Yep. Yeah, it's a good point. It's... Uh, it's yeah, because Dan Tony... You know, because he, he complained, that's why it was up there. But they do have their criteria, and you know, whatever. I just there was, I think there was another sort of semi leap in the game that happened too that you could have that could have uh, been called, but whatever. It's just, it just it was an ugly game all around. Yeah, for sure. All right, this is from Casey from Lehigh. Hi, gentlemen. A couple of things I wanted to bring up for discussion. When Utah played BYU, their plan seemed to be ground and pound because BYU is known to drop eight into coverage. Utah has the ability to do that because of Zach Moss. Does USC not have a competent running back, or is the entire coaching staff awful? I felt like USC had a good amount of success in the run game, but they decided to stick with the pass and get picked off three times. How is it possible that not one USC coach watched the Utah versus BYU film and came away saying, maybe we should mix in the run game more because BYU wants to take away the pass? What is the bigger problem at USC, the coaching staff as a whole or just Clay Helton? Um, so they ran the ball 45 times. They ran the ball. Yeah. They ran the ball a ton. I thought there were two things going on. I thought they had the wrong running back in the game for that sort of game. I think Malapai is good. I don't know if he's the type who's going to just grind for yards. Um, I really liked Marquise step. Um, and I thought he's the kind of back you want for that game. Somebody who's just going to get North South with momentum and drive some dudes back for nice, nice five, six yard chunks. 
I thought he would have been much better for this sort of game. But I think you also have to be content with that um, if you're playing BYU. Be content to be a team that's just going to pound a team. And I think USC kept trying to bounce stuff outside and get lateral against his defense and, you know, hit a big play. And I just don't think um, it was necessarily the right game plan against this defense. Um, so I, I, I think they maybe watched BYU, but they didn't evaluate their own talent very well. Um, I think they probably overestimated their offensive line and probably um, maybe overemphasized, overemphasized the wrong running back, but it's hard not to when he's your starter and, and another guy's a true freshman or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a true freshman, right? Redshirt freshman? Uh, step? Redshirt freshman, yeah. Right, right. Uh, no, he um, he was the downhill runner that would have worked best in this game, and when he was in there, it did work. Um, they they could have done that more, but they just kind of got away from what this offense does, and they were you know they were allowing pressure from you know three men getting you know rushing the passer. The offensive line just didn't play very well. They needed to be able to if you're going to drop eight back, you got and you have better talent, you should be able to line up and just push a, the other team around. And USC wasn't able to do that. They probably could have done it better if Marquis Step was in the game. Um, you know, they had one drive that was all runs, and, and most of it was in the middle with the marquee step. Uh, but then they they didn't really go back to that. So, yeah, that, that was an issue. I, th- I think there's a lot of coaching problems here, but the, the offensive line really didn't play well. They needed to push some people around. If you're going to – if they're going to play that kind of coverage, you, there's other things you can do to, to, you know, to counter that, and USC wasn't able to do that. Yep. Uh and then um, I also want to point out the great officiating on the weekend. There was a stretch in the Utah game at the end of the first half that lasted 30 minutes because the refs wanted to f- review previous plays. However, they decided to review those plays after another play had been run. They did this twice. Based on my knowledge alone, the, the officials can't review a play unless they blow the whistle before the next half. They did this twice. Thanks to the great podcast, Go Utes. Yeah, and I want to I want to say Utah was I, I want to say the Pac-12 refs were especially stretched thin. Like I think we were seeing some F crews yeah. and G crews because they had there were like Pac-12 teams on the road too, so they were fielding the crews. So I think we were seeing the very bottom of the bottom of the bottom for Pac-12 refs, and it was very ugly. Yeah, twelve, 12 games. You're going to be stretched thin, and uh, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Uh, this is from Brian. Week three question. He says, "I have a quick question this week for Ryan." This past weekend, BYU, uh, it appeared on TV that Stephen Carr was running in quicksand. He seemed as if he had no burst and was very tentative compared to Vavai. And Step, is this something you've noticed in practice? It would be unfortunate if injuries have already caused Carr to lose a step. Uh, also, what might, uh, also for what may be the only time this year, my Beavers won. On uh, October 5th, we're coming for your Laser Bears, Dave. It may, it may be our last great chance. Thanks, Brian, from Walnut Creek. Yeah, Stephen Carr, and like Dave talked about, like this was a game where if you're trying to go wide, Carr seemed to be kind of bouncing around instead of just hitting the hole. And like Step would just take the ball and just run forward and plow through people. And he would he'd, he'd pick up 10, 11 yards on different carries. And Carr wasn't like that. Now, we can't watch practice anymore. He looked like he had a little bit of that burst. We saw, you know, in the first couple of games, he would make guys miss when he was in the open field. He just never got in the open field. And I think a lot of it was just him having a, pro- a hard time getting out of the backfield. Um, so, yeah, there was something that was a little different. He had like a 25-yard touchdown run around the edge uh, against Stanford. But the the hesitation in the in, you know, against this defense just didn't really work. I think you needed to just run downhill, and he wasn't doing that. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do we got? Two left? 
Yeah, so this is me. Um, two serious questions from Alex from Pasadena. One, how shitty is UCLA? <laughs> uh, pretty shitty. Pretty, <laughs> pretty shitty. Um, two, this one is not English. What did he say? Is Chip Kelly overthink this shit? Overthinking? Maybe that's what he means? Maybe overthinking. Yeah. Um, um yeah, probably. I think that's probably the the most generous way to put it. Um I think he somehow somewhere in all of his travels got traumatized about running his blur offense again in some way. Um either that or he's like wholly and completely arrogant and thinks he's, you know, going to be the next great innovator with some new thing. Um but I think it's probably more the overthinking. He probably thinks it would be unsuccessful. Um that's my guess. That's the rational explanation. So, yes, he's overthinking. He didn't really run it in the NFL, right? Or maybe he tried and then it just wasn't. The first year with the Eagles, he was running tempo. Like, he was doing it. Um, they, they weren't as ground heavy. They were a little bit more pass friendly. But that's more the dictates of what the NFL is. It's, a, it's friendlier to passing teams than college game um, because of the hashes and everything. Um, so, you can't do as much of that. Um, wide side running as you can do in the college yeah. game because the hashes are narrower. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, it was still running tempo and he was still, you know, putting defenses on their heels, but defenses were able to adjust because they could put more on the middle linebacker in, in the NFL than they can in college where he's basically calling the defense real time. Um, and they learned how to adjust to the tempo um, and tempo can't, just literally cannot be as much of an advantage in the NFL for a variety of clock reasons. Um, but at the, at the college level, most of those things are still true that would make tempo work. It's why there's still a pretty reasonable correlation between tempo and successful offenses. Um, so yeah, I think he's overthinking it. So this is what we're kind of come down to. Like you have this huge hit, and you think, wow, this, this is going to last forever. You're going to like have a U2 on your hands. And then it turns out to be like a Dexys Midnight Runners or something. Like it's, it's just like a one-hit yeah. wonder. Like that's, that's yeah, kind yeah. of what we're looking at. Right, exactly. Wow. I, see, I, just didn't, I just thought when he got back to college, it would be back, you know? There's all oh, the NFL stuff. It didn't work because it's the NFL. But, man, it's, uh, it's something else. It's incredible. And, you know, it's going to end up being what, what's probably going to end up happening. Cause I think Scott Frost is going to get it figured out at Nebraska. It's going to be like Chip Kelly will be like the Hal mummy where, yeah, he put it together, but it's going to be somebody else who really moves with the thing. Yeah. And, you know, Frost obviously isn't running pure blur. I mean, he's doing some extra stuff with it and it's a little bit more pass centric, but it is, a, it's a tempo offense. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, we got one last one, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, we had a lot of energy coming into it, but this it's a long this a long podcast, so you kind of run, oh boy. you kind of run out. Uh, let's get into Dave's feelings. This is Joshua, <laughs> so this is like free therapy for Dave. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is Joshua, your loyal listener from Arkansas. Last year, I asked Dave after Chip Kelly's horrible start to the season and in recruiting if he hated Kelly more than Rick Neuheisel. Dave said that even though Kelly's start wasn't promising. He had faith in his potential and could never hate him as much as Neuheisel. So, a year later, with a whole lot more of the same from <laughs> Kelly, where are we now, Dave? Do you still hate Neuheisel more, especially now knowing that he didn't have gloves? How much more 
from Old Chipper before we get to hear the same vitriol from Kelly as we do for I I would say on this Rick. show I probably I probably went harder on our Chipman Chip than I've ever gone on Rick. I I think you're getting there. Yeah, it's close. Yeah, I'm getting there now. Yeah, there's a we don't have as you know the longevity for Rick is still there, but uh, because honestly. Uh, those are some of my favorite moments on the podcast. And please quit saying he was the right hire no matter what happens. Hiring a name because it is recognizable is never a good idea if that is the only reason he is getting the job. There were plenty of warning signs about Kelly in his previous four years that things were not going well with him as a coach, and we all knew he was a horrible recruiter before he got hired. I'm just saying there might be some UCLA fans who would prefer to see old Rick's blonde hair on the sidelines over whatever is happening now. So, all right. So, Joshua, um, as with many things I say, um, I was very much wrong. Um, no, obviously, uh, Chip Kelly's way worse than Rick Neuheisel in my eyes because here's the thing. Rick Neuheisel, for all the fact that he sucked and was a horrible coach and just didn't know what he was doing whatsoever and was a little bit lazy in critical aspects of the job, uh, he's a UCLA guy. Clearly cared, clearly gave a crap, um, you know, did all of that stuff. Chip Kelly is an interloper, um, and he presents himself as even more so of an interloper. He does not engender any kind of good feelings in anyone he deals with at UCLA. Um, he's kind of an aloof uh, and a bit of a jerk, a bit of a dick. Um, so all of that, uh, yeah, it has to contribute to the overall analysis. If you're going to be bad at least be kind of agreeable about it. And whatever you want to say about Rick Neuheisel, he's an agreeable enough guy. Um, So, no, I think uh, given everything, given the totality of things, yeah. I mean, obviously, I would have preferred Rick. And and if you gave me the choice right now, I would 100% take Rick because at least he would recruit. I mean, if you're going to be horrible, at least stock things up for the next guy. Yeah, Chip Kelly's not doing that. It's going to leave it in a rebuild situation. No, if you could get Rick right now and he's the interim to close out the year and he just recruits people and tells them how great UCLA is and they actually sign a good class, that'd be like the best possible scenario for the remainder of this year. Um, no, I, and but going back to the hire, you're right, of course. What I'm saying is um, while there may have been other guys that would have turned out better, um, this was the one time where you really couldn't critique UCLA. It would be deeply unfair to, because if you, if average UCLA fan or even you know somewhat sophisticated UCLA fan heard that you had the chance to hire Chip Kelly and you didn't take it, and then he was picked up by Florida or whoever was on the market for a coach right then, you'd look horrible. Um, this was the one time where they did the thing that you know most anybody in their shoes would have done and it just hasn't worked out. Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say that. Um, it's a distinction I'm drawing because UCLA justifiably gets critiqued for a lot of its coaching hires. This isn't one no. where you can critique them along the same angle. They didn't They didn't flub the hire. They just, they didn't make an expert level hire. Yeah. But they still did the thing that any almost anybody in their shoes would have done. You're, you're at the fantasy football no, number one pick and it was like Sean Alexander from years ago and he ended up like, Breaking his leg yeah. or whatever it, it was. It was yeah. terrible. So like you, but you, you, you picked the guy everyone wanted. Um, I told, I mean, there's a lot of USC fans. No, I mean, it was, it was probably split when, when USC, you know, when you thought they might hire somebody, I'm like, yeah, dude, if you get Chip Kelly, that would be crazy. That would make everybody, you know, in the Pac-12 would just, 
you know, they would be afraid that USC just hired Chip Kelly. And there were definitely some USC fans who were like, and say these things, like some of the stuff that Joshua was saying. I don't think it was just about the name. I mean, it was it's a name that, it had a name because he was really freaking good in college. He did things that nobody else could do. I don't know if you could foresee that he's completely moved on from that and won't do that again. Um, that's why you hired him. It wasn't like the Chip Kelly name. It was like, he's so innovative. He's going to do things that no one else can do. And what if you do it with all this talent? Like, that's why you would want this hire. And it's not working on either level. It's like he's the anti-recruiter. And also, he's not going to run the thing that made him special. So, uh, yeah, it's I can't blame UCLA at all. I was 100% behind this. Thought it would be great. Uh, I was wrong. It is not. It's a disaster. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Joshua, for letting us get into Dave's feelings. He doesn't have to go to therapy this week. We just took care of it right here. And Last one. You ready? Oh, we have is another me one? me or you? Yeah, we got one more. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. U dollar sign C. Uten KC here. You guys better not talk about how good BYU is after that USC win. Only a jackass coach could prepare for a team not knowing they've dared every team to just run the ball. They did a three-person rush and forced us to run each time in the first week. BYU played well, but I see this as an error on the coaching at USC more than anything. Utah will cover the three and a half. They won't blow them out, but it will be comfortable. I think BYU is one of the best teams in the country. Uh, <laughs> Ute and KC. I really, I mean, I, it's a class organization. Um, definitely the best team in the mountain area. And, no, just obviously kidding. Um, it's so funny how bad, like, I had, like, U Utah people texting me, like, pissed off that USC lost, you know. Um, they do not like BYU. No. Like, no, they not, do not. not not at all. Yeah, no, I we both picked Utah to cover uh, Ute and KC, so uh, maybe that's not a good sign for you. But, yeah, no, I think I think Utah's going to cover this game. I think BYU's all right, you know. They're, they can do some good things, but I think um, – Oh, I'm sorry. What? Oh, Utah will cover the three and a half. Wait, what? What? I'm getting this wrong. Utah already played BYU. Which Utah will cover the three and a half against USC. This yes, against USC. Um, yeah. And we both picked Washington to cover against BYU. So yeah, correct. Yeah, we we think that USC is not as good and uh, BYU is not as good. So we I think we agree with you, Ute and KC. We do. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. And this one came in late. This one came in while we were recording. I didn't see that. Indeed. Oh, he also put a lot of dollar signs in the USC. Yeah, I stopped after the first one. I thought we got the gist. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. All right. Well, hey, good show. How long did we go? Four hours? or We are, I think, at two hours and 15 minutes. Well, we knew it was going to be long because of the, uh, the 12 games to recap. Uh, but good stuff. Um, any final thoughts, Dave, before we go in? It'll be... It, God. Be, no, be a little no. better. Going well, I'm, I'm also recording now at my office at work, and my office at work does not get um, great air circulation, and it's the late afternoon Atlanta sun right now, and I am sweating through everything. I'm sweating through my soul right oh, now. Oh, sorry. No, no. No, no, no. It's how I do my best work. You should have some beers in the office. That would be... Yeah, that would really add to it. Yeah. Some, some sort of diuretic. Yeah, I think that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's wrap it up here uh whew, week three recapped week four coming up i love our picks this week i really feel confident i feel like the ones i felt confident about this past week i feel similar so hopefully we come back next week and we got some really good picks for you uh check it out thanks to our sponsors mac weldon and uh 
my bookie. Thanks to David for coming on and sweating through this podcast with me. Thanks to all you listeners out there. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time.